This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Hey, hey, Narrative Nubia. What's going on, family? It is Christmas morning. And ironically, we are in class with Carr, episode 94. 94 years old. Last year, episode 43 landed on Kwanzaa, the first day of Kwanzaa, December 26th. I feel like, you know, today's Saturday class landed on actual Christmas. So we're here. That's perfect. How are you? Merry Christmas. We say that perfunctory, right? Oh, that's all right. There are many things we can say, right? I mean, uh, you know, it's so funny. It reminds me of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, uh, my very good friend, Nolan E. Thomas, the uh, the artist, the singer, the, the producer, the playwright. He uh, is often called upon to put together, you know how black folk do, Christmas pageants. I mean, and I, so we, we you know, if, if there had been no COVID, there would have been a spate of children playing Mary and Joseph and the three wise men. Were you ever in any of those plays, Professor? Hell no. What? No. So what? I, <laughs> what? I came in. I came into the church hard at eleven, and oh, you're you know, I was already like five ten. Like I. I oh yeah. Sleep. No, yeah. nah, you could be towering over a little baby yeah. person. You can't yeah, really no. play no Joseph in there. Cute little, no, I was no. Yeah, and, and then it had no non-gender casting, so you couldn't really switch it up. You could have, been, okay, I got you, I got you. But he could have been the archangel. You could have been, you know, right. after us the child is born. I mean, they, they, these folks didn't have no imagination. You, you right. could, you could have slayed that role. You understood the assignment. You could have come in and slayed. Oh yeah, no. But, no, wait, did you did you have the were you little oh, yeah you know we were, but like like countless black children we were all in there, the easter plays the christmas plays um i don't even remember i was in the play one time well no, that was easter we had to talk about that easter for the national baptist convention uh reverend jemison who was the national baptist convention chair his daughter diane jemison was the playwright and we did the easter play and uh we all who had to audition by that time, I was about 13, 14 years old. And uh, now these are thousands of delegates from all over the country. I think we were in Milwaukee, St. Louis, whatever it was that year. And uh, I auditioned for Moses, but they made me Aaron because they said Moses was not well spoken. <laughs> so, therefore, <laughs> which was cool. I enjoyed it because I mean, I felt bad because I got my first insight into casting as a young child. We, oh, yeah, but. Our, our little troop at Canaan New Missionary Baptist Church was called the In God's Name Players. My dear friend and brother Robert Smith. I know it. Still an attorney in DC, uh, in DC, in uh, in Nashville. He and his daughter Nita, uh, daughter his his wife Nita. That was many years ago. That generation is what we do. Um, and for everybody in Nubia right now, around the world, and those who'll be watching in a minute, Christmas morning, if y'all want to join us on a very relaxed morning where. Folk have been probably your young people been ripping over open packages and I hope none of y'all uh, gave credit to some random white man in a home invasion overnight uh, rather than your hard earned effort. Although Christmas feels much more increasingly secular, doesn't it? I mean, um, is that your feel for it? Now I'll come back to what I was talking about in a minute. It just doesn't feel like a. It's interesting. Like I had when I discovered that uh, it wasn't Jesus's birthday. I started um, having this conversation with my parents about, you know, the process, 
you know, and the commercialization and how, you know, I'd rather like, let's have breakfast, play cards, scrabble, you know, spend time together, exchange a gift or two, but let's not go too far, you know, and that became a tradition until my dad died that, you know, actually his last Christmas was really special because he, you know, we, we did a little bit more, but yeah, it is, it is very secular. And it, I think it's always been secular. We've been, if we're being honest. I agree. It's, I agree. It's been very little about Jesus. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and, and it's very interesting because what you've described, I think we're doing more and more of, we're doing more and more of, you see us, I think we've always done it. And I think that that commercialization of Christmas speaks to the conflict at the heart, the tension at the heart in many ways of the Western project. And I hate, I hesitate to use the gloss Western, like Western civilization or, you know, but the commercialization speaks to that conflict in the contemporary social structure over the last several centuries. Really, you could almost make the argument over the last couple of thousand years, but certainly since we've been sucked into this modern world system between a, a kind of secular capitalist materialist, to use Dr. King's phrasing near the end of his life, or his physical life, that, 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 that materialist impulse and then this spiritual dimension, the spiritual grounding that African people, indigenous folk, uh, many who become absorbed into the concept of European through the, the modern world system had at the center of our lives. And a great deal of it may have to do with the way the societies are organized um, in the modern world system because it really is a system that's built on greed and avarice, on possession, and that conflicts with the central um, cultural meaning making to use our Africana studies categories. And we were reminded that those categories apply to all human beings. The reason we identify them specifically for African people in use as an Africana studies framework is because we have literally had no intellectual and cultural place to stand. We have to, you know, people say, oh, I'm doing black studies. You're not doing black studies if you're not embracing a methodology that gives us a place to stand. If you're still worshiping at the white disciplines at history and psychology and philosophy and, and English, then you're not doing black studies. You may be doing some important work in terms of trying to locate some documents and have some interesting provocative conversations, but you're not doing Africana studies. And maybe in the coming year, particularly in Nubia, as we uh, load our class up and have these conversations, we can do that. But those categories, those Africana studies methodology categories apply to all human beings and the cultural meaning making, the movement and memory, the use of science and technology, creation and adaptation of tools in science and technology, ways of knowing. Those things apply to all human beings. And, and, and we kind of bring them together to inform Africana through the governance structure, the, the various ways that African people have organized themselves and related to themselves over time and space because we need a place to stand. But we understand that all human beings have generated those, those ways of knowing and those movements and memory and those ways of cultural meaning making and uses of science and technology. And that the social structure that we find ourselves in in the contemporary world is one that is born out of this, this insatiable greed, this expansion out of a particular part of the world, but the, something that comes to shape and frame in many ways, the entire human population and may even lead to our uh, extinction as we still sit separate from each other here 
mm-hmm. in, in the wake of uh, us, uh, by us and human beings pushing against nature and nature pushing back. Uh, somebody remarked the other day to me, and I thought it was interesting. They said, what if human beings are uh, COVID and the earth is trying to cure itself? <laughs> so at any rate, <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense <laughs> to me. Let's sit in there for a minute. Uh, and it, while it may not be Jesus' birthday, it is Taylor's birthday, one of our Nubians, Sister Johnston. Happy uh, birthday. Happy 27th birthday to her daughter, Taylor. All right. Happy, happy birthday, Taylor. I hope you get double presents because you know how them birthday babies go around Christmas time. They be taking an L, <laughs> some of them. <laughs> Baby, go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. What if, you know, human beings, the, the and, and let me just say this. I feel, and I don't know if, I don't know if this is right. It's just a feeling. Mm-hmm. But some of us, I feel, have evolved. Oh, no question about it. Like the homo sapien yeah. is, is the defective. And then there's another version and i and i think about this when i when i read um the half has never been told and when he's describing um patsy picking 500 pounds of cotton a day this little slight black woman and what it what what was required of her brain to do that that she was able to separate the hemispheres of her brain and that within a generation evolution happened through torture Mm. created an evolved person and i think about that in the in the framework of black people in general you know um and what does that mean and and the capacity to forgive and love and 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 laugh in spite of horrors you know uh kim potter gets found guilty we're relieved at the same time we're like yeah but how do it free us and is this the you know like there, there are all of these questions and yet every day we get up with joy most of us uh, we have community and family in the midst of all of the insanity of like this this world that's been sat upon us. We we find our ways. We find ways to make chitlins taste good. We find ways to take your crazy holidays and, and build family and community through it. We find a way to take your horrible history and find ourselves in it. And then here you come with the 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 ways of knowing and 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 the governance and this. It's just maybe you're right. And maybe some of us are evolved. Oh, yeah, no question. We have, well, well, if we don't, we definitely evolved. We've adapted. I mean, you know, as, as we talk about in our introduction to African American States class, you know, we start with this, in fact. Um, you know, our first, we have six what we call um, framing questions. The first question is um, how do we undertake the study of Africana experiences? So how do we even approach the idea of thinking about ourselves in time and space over time and space? And we come after several weeks of thinking through answering that question, reading, discussing, you know, I'm gently kind of accompanying the students to the answer that they will apply to the rest of the framing questions, the other five. And the answer they will apply to those questions by going through a very small version of the experience that I went through with my comrades as we thought through and argued and debated and and, then consulted and and, and had sat with folk. These conceptual categories, the answer in, in one sentence is we apply these six conceptual categories to answering the next five questions. So the first question we ask ourselves, how do we even start? How do we even think about who ourselves, who we are? Um, to evoke someone who we'll talk about in a second. And we won't, I, I don't know that that will be here for the normal arc that we 
usually go on on Saturdays for a couple of hours. I mean, this this morning, this folks are getting up, you know, folks are enjoying in the space and we want to contribute to that energy. Um, but um, as Melana Karenga, who we'll talk about in a minute, we talk about Kwanzaa because tomorrow's the first day of Kwanzaa, um, evoking France Fanon, uh, the great thinker uh, who may transition too soon, you know, asking these three simple questions, you know, who am I? Am I really who I am? And am I all I ought to be? Now, there are many different ways to ask those three questions. But the, the first question we ask in our Africana studies framework is, you know, how do we undertake the study of Africana experiences? Who are African people? Um, you know, are we really who we are? So when you talk about, you know, this this concept and you're right, and you, half has never been told, explores it in that example you gave. I mean, to speculate that we might even have had a physiological adaptation that became more or less permanent as a result of the trauma mm -hmm. if we if we take that as a point of entry as a point of entry possibility then of course that just raises many other questions such as well when we walked out of africa and migrated into what is now europe and got caught between the glacial periods um did that trauma create an irreversible cultural adaptation that gave birth to everything from deep human greed and avarice to uh you know i mean we see it in the fairy tales right be scared of old people the red riding hood stay out the woods hansel and gretel the people will eat you cannibalism uh, uh women really have no role except to find a good productive man they can glom themselves onto snow white and cinderella um in other words <laughs> did the trauma of that adaptation create a culture that is irredeemable now you're going to say several several decades and centuries of ultimately of picking cotton rewired our brains well then what did several thousand years of living in the ice with not enough food do to you and should we ever listen to y'all about anything so okay. I mean, i'm open to the possibility that maybe a couple of hundred years could do that to us but if that's true then what would several thousand do so anyway so i mean but so i'm just saying if that's the argument but but as i was saying are we really who we are that second question requires us to step back and reflect on these arts so that even our beautiful narrative, I am my ancestors concept assertion, which we're gonna visit in a minute as it relates to Christmas with one of our ancestors we spent a lot of time with in narrative, the great Howard Thurman. Um, even that concept can be misinterpreted if we don't understand that when we ask, are we really who we are? If we don't understand that time and space are perceived differently, depending on the culture you come in through, and then are we all we ought to be? Well, that's the question all humans are always asking themselves every day, every moment. And then the importance of rituals, whether it be Christmas or Easter, whether it be Juneteenth or um, Emancipation Day, whether it be Kwanzaa, the importance of rituals are moments in the calendar where we pause that power to pause again and reflect and measure ourselves. Where are we? What are we doing? What do we want to remember? What do we want to do going forward? What do we want to, as you just said, sit in and think about as this next cycle emerges and the previous cycle ends? And so in that process, when we think about the question of who we are, are we really who we are, are we really who we are, or we all we ought to be, 
in that Africana studies framework, we ask the question, how do we undertake the study of Africana experiences? We're trying to answer those questions collectively, not as individuals, but as groups. And then that second question, and I won't go through all of them because obviously we got a whole course coming in 02. We got it mapped out, outlined, and really the possibilities of 2022 are endless. And we'll talk about that. And we got one more week of 2021. So I'm looking forward to this coming up Saturday as well. We'll talk more about that um, in class. But this process of the second question is engaged with a simple question. How did Africans preserve and affirm our ways of life and use those cultures, use those identities, use those governance formations to resist oppression, including enslavement, really focus on enslavement. And we had to develop that second question, which is the first question we use to apply our conceptual categories, which we developed out of the first question. How do we undertake the studies of the experience to begin with? What's our methodology? We had to develop that question because we so often, too often begin our conversations with the trauma. And so the first thing in that second question is, how did Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life? In other words, we had ways of life that are older than everything on the planet. And what has happened during enslavement is very recent. And so we use those things that we already were doing that we remembered that we preserved to resist enslavement. And we won't get too deep into it this morning because it is Christmas morning, which reminds me where we started a few minutes ago. As you say, we talk about the commercialization. This isn't a new conversation in 2021. As my friend Nolan E. Williams uh, in, in, in the Christmas, one of the Christmas pageants that he assembled several years ago, we mounted it, performed it at the Lincoln Theater. He reached out to me and asked me to be one of the many actors in the brood. It was really something. He 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 relies on folks who are local wherever he is, and he's done stuff all over the country, all over the world, in fact. And Nolan called, said, "Brother, would you play one of these parts?" They have we had these four kind of narrators, guides that that were composed the spine throughout the performance and they had singers and choirs he had a choir man dude i love the way this brother thinks just a creative genius when you start talking about cultural meaning making but he always salts his productions with movement and memory so he takes things from different eras uh du bois langston hughes paul Lawrence dunbar so many others you know tony morrison my angelou zordon hurston he's bringing stuff in and then he puts the music in he writes the score he composes music and he's got the choir he's got the instruments and everything and so just watching him work is a joy and we did this one at the Lincoln Theater here uh, on U Street. And uh, Fleur Persura, one of my friends who works at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, Fleur was one of the spirit guides. I mean, we had a great time. But anyway, one of my little Christmas speeches for it was from uh, a poem by Paul Dunbar, the great Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And uh, he talks about a tradition that is old. Some of folk in Nubia, see if y'all remember this. Man, Professor, and I don't know. I think we're too young to remember this directly. It wasn't a practice for us, but the elders knew it. Your father would have known it. My, my mother and father, you know, it was something called Christmas gift. Like gift without the tea, you know, like <laughs> we joke if people, when people say Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas is, is overpronounced. <laughs> you know, old folks at Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> We were joking about that, me and uh, me and Angie Porter, uh, Mercury. 
<laughs> you know, like people in DC say Murrin Berry. What? No, Murrin Berry. Yeah, Murrin Berry. <laughs> My man is Murrin Berry. Man for life. Anyway, uh, Christmas gift. Have you ever heard of Christmas gift? No, uh, I have not. All right, so somebody in Nubia has. I'm sure Christmas gift is one of them African traditions by Africans who preserve and affirm their ways of life and use their cultures as means to resist enslavement. Meaning what? They didn't bring Christmas from West Africa. They didn't bring Christmas from Central or East Africa because those boats came from all over the continent. They, but they did bring community. Community is a very different concept when you got enough to eat. It's very different when you when you migrate and adapt into Europe where scarcity is the origin of your culture where you got to be careful. Somebody knock on your door, you put the food up. Why? Y'all ain't got enough to share. People get old. They got to go somewhere. Why? Even out in the snow. Why? Just go somewhere. Why? Because we ain't got enough places to feed. So that's why we had no orphanages in Africa and then had no old folks homes. Why? We got enough to eat. And you put elders somewhere comfortably. And some of y'all doing that this morning. Got your babies right around the feet of the elders listening, listening. But at any rate, Christmas gift in the U.S. South a tradition where you get up early Christmas morning and you go around visiting like all families do people do and when you see somebody you yell Christmas gift before they could yell Christmas gift and some of y'all may know what I'm talking about that means that you're going to give them something before they get the chance to give it to you the whole spirit in other words you're not going around trying to collect gifts you're going around trying to give them so <laughs> Christmas gift I got you here, <laughs> just for you. And so, uh, in the in the, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, um, wrote a poem about the Christmas gift, and that was one of the poems that Nolan uh, required me to memorize as one of the four who guided us through to the end. And then he got BB uh, Winans to come down and sing the final song. So I mean, BB Winans coming. Yeah, I mean, this, this is me, producer writ large. So one of the phrases in the poem on Christmas gift, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. It's Paul Lawrence Dunbar now writing the turn of the century. Paul Dunbar says, you know, he talks about how you walk in, say Christmas gift. And then Dunbar said, now those words are rarely heard. Merry Christmas is the word. What he's saying is, even Dunbar, this is this is over a century ago. Paul Dunbar is like, it used to be Christmas was when you gave stuff to people and, and you took great pride in giving stuff to them for they could give something to you in a different spirit. And he goes through how, you know, you go through Christmas walks with your companion and the snow is there, people, and you're going around Christmas, give Christmas, and he said, now those words are really heard. Merry Christmas is the word. And he says, you know, there are things sometimes I sit and I long um, to see Christmas how it used to be. That's from somebody dating Ohio, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who's who's reminiscing? He's talking about the commercialization of Christmas, even then. And so, you know, and we talk about the we'll, in a minute. We we'll talk about the commercialization of Kwanzaa, but. Yeah, we're we're in a moment now where it, it feels a lot more secular, but I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing because Christmas as we know it is, how can I put this? The way you've described it, the way you all created it, um, I think is very much more important um, because 
Christmas is really a car crash. I talk about I, I use that metaphor car crash a lot, and I know that it's kind of jarring, but I but I like the metaphor because I think to me jarring is part of the thing we have to do. We need to be shook out of some of these things. The Christmas car crash is a crash between European traditions, as we know, and the traditions of the rest of the world. I mean, we know when people talk about the birthday of Christ. I mean, we know Christ's birthday ain't wasn't the 25th we know that in many ways and we won't talk a lot about that because that ain't you know this morning we and plus we've been here now and we'll talk about this more next week all of the uh the sessions we've had you know we, we got into a deeper dive on this before we talked about a shaka musa barashango and and we you know and now we're in the process now of looking over the arc of everything we've done it's really quite remarkable but so we won't get too deep into that but you know, you've got an empire. You've got a Roman Empire um, that is determined to maintain control. So the reason that the 25th of December, which is a calendar that is already thrown off by two emperors, Augustus and Julius Caesar, sticking their names in the calendar. So Dece, like the decimal system, means 10th. It's supposed to be the 10th month. It's the 12th because they stuck their names in. But the reason you put it here is because this is the solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. The 21st through the 25th, these are the shortest days of the year, but the 21st being the shortest day of the year. And so what you really have is a rebirth of the sun for these people of Europe. In other words, it's cold. This is the coldest it's going to get. This is the shortest the days are going to get. We're kind of depressed. So let's bring some of this warmth into the uh, home, the Yule log, for example. You start talking about Yule time. What is Yule time? Yule log, you go bring a big piece of wood and you burn it. And as long as it's burning, you're feasting. And then when the fire goes out, that's the end of that. But it's just when you bring this together, you bring in trees in your house, <laughs> right? these evergreen trees that are hardy. And so you cut one, bring it in the house. You're trying to remember life. You're, you're anchoring yourself. None of these rituals are important in the Southern Hemisphere or in more temperate climates. So the Romans don't have them. They're closer to the equator. They're on the Mediterranean realm. But the farther up you go in them Germanic areas or you go up into the uh, where England is now. And these, these people, the, the Scandinavian places, you know, Odin. And I mean, these, these are rituals of remembering life because you're literally in the geographical equivalent of death or hibernation at, at a minimum. So, so these are rituals. And then you have all these other rituals that are tied to these various cultures. So for the Romans, you know, Saturnalia, Juvenalia, Saturnalia, this is the time of year when they get stone cold drunk, commit all kind of heinous acts, including, you know, sexual, I mean, you don't even want, let's not even get into it on Christmas morning. Juvenalia, you're celebrating children, you're giving them gifts, all these things, but, but the Romans are an empire. So they're trying to subdue all these other people. Well, you don't subdue people by taking everything from them. In fact, the most effective way to subdue people is to take something that they do and absorb it into what you do so they can see themselves in the ritual. We talked about that in Easter. How does a rabbit get to go with a crucifixion and go with some eggs and some chocolate? But all that, you're bringing people's traditions in. That one, of course, is the spring equinox but we are now in the winter solstice these are rituals formed around astronomical events not astrological events not interpretations of astronomical events but the spinning of the earth and the movement of the earth around the sun that's what it is so i started to say that the emphasis then that we get with christmas you put the birth of the christian god the, the human say human the human representative of god god on earth christ 
you sync that with the birth rituals of all these other manifestations of divine in these various European ways of knowing, whether it be the Romans, whether it be the, the Scandinavians, whether it be whoever, you name it, the Germans. I mean, they got all kinds of names, right? And you put all those things together and you say, okay, in the form of Christ's birth, you have that. Fine. No problem. You can put the birthday wherever you want. You could see the Romans couldn't get rid of the Christians. After centuries, they had been trying to get rid of these Christians. They couldn't get rid of them. So what did they do? They absorbed them. Because in the story, if they had been Christians from jump, then this uh, poor non-white couple trying to find a place to have a baby wouldn't have been having a baby on straw in a manger because why, why was they in, why were they in the beginning? Well, they had come pay their taxes. Why? This is an empire. You got to pay your taxes. That's why you had to leave your house. Why your baby wasn't you wasn't born in your bed. And of course, then they got to absorb these other traditions, which are old, the oldest traditions, the oldest traditions. The idea that you can have a baby not by a penis that gave, that can sperm, but no, a heavenly penis. What? How did the baby? Wait, you, the angel came and said God made the baby. Or as Richard Pryor say, <laughs> to update the story, to go to Peoria, Illinois, say <laughs> every wino knows Jesus Christ. What are you talking about? Yeah, you go in the pool house and Jesus Christ. I know the boy. His mama live in the project. In fact, my mama saved his mama from getting killed when she came in his very pool hall and told her husband Joe that God made the baby. He tried to kill him with a pool stick. Anyway, so the whole idea that God can make a baby without a man and a woman coming together is as old as time. In fact, the story is Egyptian. This story is Egyptian. I have stood with my brother Mario Beatty and my sister Belithia Watkins many times in one of the many places in the Nile Valley where it is inscribed. And we will go there together, Professor Hunter, all of us when we go to Abidus, a place called Abidus, built, begun by uh, Seti I and finished by his son, Ramses II. Standing there and you look on the wall and you see Wosir, Osiris, laying down and you see his erect penis there and you see at his head is his wife, is his wife, Aset or Isis, at his feet is their child, Heru or Horus. And the whole inscription is about how after this man was killed by his brother, Satek, how his wife and her sister, his sisters, because the four of them are considered brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, all the formations of women and men, went around and made sure that he was in a position now that he is in the West. We'll see it doesn't come back. Once you did, you did. It's very important. So we say, I am my ancestors. Who am I? Am I really who I am? Am I all out to be? I'm my ancestors because we are literally the creation of two other human beings. If you want a human being that you say this came through me, then you got to get with somebody and create that human being because we are the creations of our two parents biologically. So in that scene, what they're saying is that once you did, you did. So anything but they but he went he transitioned without having a child they didn't have a child so if she gonna get pregnant and have that child that's at your feet they put past present and future all in the same picture because this ain't tv right they don't have the technology they got to put it all in one picture and they've inscribed it on the wall what you see is that that birth has to take place in the spiritual realm so the conception took place in the spiritual realm so you see the bob bird over the penis of a sar and that bird is representing the spiritual essence. It's the essence that impregnates her. And it has to happen outside of time. We have to talk about that another time. That's where Jehudi comes in. But that's a whole, these are, but these are allegories. This didn't happen in, in the material world. This is a story. This is an allegory. Just like the birth of Christ is an allegory. People are looking for, is this the birthplace of Christ? You looking with these eyes. You need to be looking with the inner spirit. Don't try to reduce, as 
John Henry Clark says, stop trying to read the Bible as a history book. It's a book of allegory from a lot of different places. So in finally, in that Egyptian conversation, what you see is that they have this conception takes place in the spiritual world. And she gives birth in the material world to Heru, who grows up to balance what has happened to his parents, particularly to the death of his father. So he subdues his uncle, but you can't kill your uncle. It's still your uncle, but he subdues it. And it's what is it a metaphor about, among other things? It is a metaphor about the triumph of right action over incorrect action. The uncle represents incorrect action. What the father, mother, and son represent, father, mother, son, that sounds like a trinity. We ain't gonna get too deep into this morning because we're gonna see that too later on when the Romans absorb this stuff. What they represent is right action. So right action, and in fact, what they are all metaphors for is each of us individually because we all got that Satek energy. I want to kill you. But then here come that we'll see your Aset Heru energy saying, hold on. But if you don't maintain that status, we often still erupt with, I'm going to kill you. Meaning what? Heru can't kill his uncle. Why? His uncle's always there. That Satek energy is always there. It is a reminder that we have to always sit in a thing. If we want to behave correctly, we have to take that pause. We have to take that breath. This is really no different conceptually than any of the great ways of knowing that human beings have created to remind us that there ain't no such thing as completely good and completely evil. All those things exist in us at the same time. This is the metaphor. And in fact, so if you don't have a baby in the physical world, it's a spiritual conception that comes, manifests itself physically. You know what you call that? Why that conception's immaculate. Nobody gets scared, Christmas. We don't get too deep into this. So by the time that tradition gets folded in and the birth of Christ is co-mingled with everybody from the Saturnalia and the Bacchanalia to the Yule, and you get Christmas. And it's at the solstice. Why? Because the birth of Heru represents that birth. And of course, in the solstice, the 25th, the sun is coming back. The S-O-N, no, wait, the S-U-N, right? Okay, so S-O-N is a metaphor for the S-U-N. Yes, okay, it's a solstice, a happy solstice. And, and so the baby's, you know, the birth is coming back. And everybody in all these traditions understands the birth because that's why they brought a Yule log in to burn it. That's why they brought the tree in their house. That's why they're lifting up children. That's quietly why they're acting crazy down there in Rome and painting people and doing all kind of crazy stuff on the Saturnalia, getting drunk. And it all folds into this glorious representation of rebirth. Now, here's where the challenge comes in. Where we're from is warm. And a great deal of where we're from, that equator cuts the belly of Central Africa from west to east or east to west straight through. In the Southern Hemisphere, these are the longest days of the year. And many of those traditions that we have now are harvest traditions, are celebration traditions, not necessarily right here on the calendar, but those traditions of harvest come in with the celebration of abundance. That's where Kwanzaa comes from. We're going to talk about Kwanzaa in a minute. Kwanzaa and Christmas are in competition. And Kwanzaa and Christmas are not in competition. We can hold these two things in our mind at the same time. We cannot reconcile the fact that Kwanzaa was born as a ritual of resistance. Resistance. Now these, th now these things are never heard. Merry Christmas is the word. Oh, how I long to see Christmas like it used to be. In some ways, Kwanzaa is the redemption of Christmas. 
in the sense that Paul Dunbar was talking about with Christmas gift, Merry Christmas. <laughs> this is the this is the spirit. These are the things we brought with us when we came. And these are things that are not alien to any human on the planet if we pause to remember that nothing, no human on the planet is completely good or completely evil. And that we had to create rituals that bring out that Heru energy, that Aset energy, that 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 that, that um that Wosir energy, that Isis Osiris and Horus energy. So that because that Satek energy. That 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 satanic energy is always there to subsume us. So here we are, Christmas morning. So let's bring the great Egyptian. No, not Egyptian. Not Egyptian. This man is not Egyptian. Well, if he's not Egyptian, we, okay. This great. Uh, oh yeah, this great Floridian Howard Thurman. All the Howard Thurmans, many of Howard Thurman's writings on Christmas, he put together in a little book called The Mood of Christmas. And the mood of I love the mood of Christmas because what he what he's able to do in the mood of Christmas is to talk about how um how let me just let me just read it. Let me just read it. I love what what, what Howard Thurman has to say. Let's go to page, I think it's 54. The strange irony. Here we go. In our Africana studies framework, our first two questions are the social structure question. Who are Africans to other people? What social what structural formations do we find ourselves in within 2021 we find ourselves in a modern world system that is absolutely anchored in greed a system that has us separate from each other in part because we got a new variant of this virus that is sweeping the globe and because for one reason that is so dangerous is because the globe the people who have the resources that came from our labor have not given those resources to the people who have had the thing taken from them in terms of resources. So everybody is not vaccinated in the world and nobody's safe till everybody's safe. So you can't travel bans and aren't going to do it. Nah, you, you got to make sure, but guess what? Ain't nobody giving up the uh, Merck pharmaceutical and all these other places, right? Moderna and all the vaccines, Johnson and Johnson and then Pfizer. They don't want to give up proprietary technology because they're going to profit off this. We got to take a pill every two weeks. We're going to have to take a shot every day, whatever. And you're going to pay for it. Well, but it was free. Ain't nothing free. Did you pay your taxes? Yeah. Okay. So now I got your money to inoculate you and you're going to stand in line. They're in lines right now all over this city and this area right now. People trying to get tested, terrified people. I went and got tested and thank God came back there. You know, got my booster and everything for about a month ago. But the simple fact of the matter is the day we got tested last week is a line stretching out. And I'm standing there talking to people in line, listening to people talking in line. They got relatives who didn't want to cancel their flight reservation. Mm. places they're traveling and i'm and i'm sending them, and i'm praying for those people but i'm not praying to the god of the christians i'm not praying to the god of the muslims alhamdulillah i'm not praying i'm just uttering a prayer because i understand that we are all connected spiritually and that my father may transition my mother's still here physically your mother's still here physically your father may transition but because they came together on their one special day we are our ancestors. Every ancestor who came before them is in us. We are our, am I, 
who am I? I am my ancestors. Am I really who I am? Well, that depends on if you remember what those people who came together to create 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 you said and did that you need to remember to temper that set energy. So this is an open question. Yes, you are your ancestors, but are you really who you are? Do you remember? And are you all you are to be? Well, that depends on what you do with the momentum of memory. So let's go back and ask our ancestor, Howard Thurman, who uh, gave a little talk called The Strange Irony. This is what Howard Thurman had to say. Howard Thurman said, there is a strange irony in the usual salutation, Merry Christmas. I'm not going to annotate this whole thing, but I am going to pause there because by the time Howard Thurman writes this, Paul Dunbar is an ancestor. And Paul Dunbar admitted the fact that people were saying Merry Christmas instead of Christmas gift because they didn't understand. And he said, Merry Christmas, you're getting away from the thing, right? But by the time Thurman reaches adulthood, Thurman is going to show you that the words may change, but the spirit doesn't have to change. So Howard Thurman says there's a strange irony in the usual salutation, Merry Christmas, when most of the people on this planet are thrown back upon themselves for food which they do not possess, for resources that have long since been exhausted, and for vitality which has already run its course. Despite this fact, Christmas symbolizes hope, even at a moment when hope seems utterly fantastic. The raw materials of the Christmas mood are a newborn baby, a family, friendly animals, and labor. Howard Thurman. Thurman says an endless process of births is the perpetual answer of life to the fact of death. Let's read that one again. An endless process of births is the perpetual answer of life to the fact of death. It says that life keeps coming on keeps seeking to fulfill itself, keeps affirming the margin of hope in the presence of desolation, pestilence, and despair. It is not an accident that the birth rate seems always to increase during times of war, when the formal processes of man are engaged in the destruction of others. Welling up out of the depths of that vast vitality, there is something at work that is more authentic than the formal discursive design of the human mind. As long as this is true, ultimately, Despair about the human race is groundless. Now, of course, Howard Thurman, thinking, working, connecting in the dawn of the nuclear age, becomes quite aware that the race can, can extinguish itself. Humanity can. And of course, he was alive during polio. He remembered through his elders and ancestors the Spanish flu. The influenza so he's not writing people say well he didn't he went around with COVID. no thurman don't don't miss the moment there don't thurman is clear about the human race's capacity to eliminate itself but guess what the human race ain't the only thing reproducing itself the 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 the, the, the arrogance of humanity to think that we are somehow the sum meaning of existence this is a very western concept this is a very western concept another reason why Christianity is much too small. Islam is much too small. Judaism is much too small. No way of knowing that we would call religion is, is large enough to capture the reality 
as Howard Thurman writes elsewhere, it human beings create religion to give themselves, to give ourselves a little handle that we can put out into the create into reality and try to have something to hold on to so we can move concepts around. But it's a, ultimately it's just that little handle. We don't have the, the, the capacity. What we can do is be still and sit in it. And Christmas comes a ritual where we sit still in it. So it's very important for us to understand that on a moment like in a moment like this, we have to be reminded that there's a lot of people that woke up this morning with no expectations and just with a desire to make it to sunset. And where's that Christmas gift spirit Paul Dunbar was talking about? Where was that? Where's that Heru spirit to step in the way of Satek energy? and intervene for these people not to give them a, a warm meal today and go back to our houses and say we did our good deed no no as thurman writes elsewhere in here the mood of christmas he said this is a ritual where you remember what you're supposed to be doing them other 364 days or at least it should be he said the elements you heard those elements you got this baby what does a baby represent that baby represents the future that baby represents the possibilities of creation and that baby represents the ancestors oh it wasn't zeers miles who wrote that book jack miles was it a there's a book several years ago it's called uh, christ a crisis in the mind of god i love how europeans organize everything around crisis the whole idea was the, the thesis of the text and, and one of the theses of the text the central thesis is that you know the, the creator in this christian centric version of reality that handle is having a, a crisis the creator itself is having a crisis so it creates christ as a way to resolve the crisis <laughs> so you know how christ is treated ultimately becomes a balance a metaphor for uh reality itself so the baby is born in terrible circumstances the empire gonna try to kill the baby initially by killing all them babies and the baby survives by fleeing in deeper into africa and uh interesting metaphor there in itself in terms of egypt but um, and then, of course, the baby uh, working class, working poor baby grows up and in, in various circumstances that most people in the world grow up in, but you know, kind of resource poor, but loving community. Then the baby confronts the bourgeoisie within his own group. So those of you who think, well, you know, Christmas, and no, no, Christ is anti-bourgeois. That's a that's a crisis to resolve right there with us. Because them representative Negroes, them Pharisees that the young Christ came up in the temple like, what y'all talking about? Okay, yeah, now nah, that ain't what that is. Oh, this boy right here, we got, well, you little smart ass. <laughs> Christ is Jesus. Nazarene. Yeah, daddy Carpenter. You need to get the hell out of here, boy. Where did you go to school? I went to Harvard. <laughs> I went to Howard. <laughs> and you, oh, you're just a carpenter. Okay, all right. Okay, you come. But you know more about this than I do, huh? Because you can read books, huh? Well, you been in Nubia? You have been hanging out in Nubia, huh? You think everybody can read books? No, I'm the law around here. Then you get a little older. Next thing you know, he gonna put some of that knowledge to action. Why well, I am my father's son. I'm my mother's son. I'm here to heal y'all. <laughs> Coming up, walking through, committing all these crimes against the state. I'm sorry, crimes against the state. You healing people? You bringing people back to life? The hell you talk? Wait, you wait. You touched George Floyd? He got up out the street? No. Oh, oh, you touched. Uh, you, you, you touched Kim Potter's gun and, and it fell to her side and she never shot Dante right. This man must be put to death. <laughs> and then what happens? The COINTELPRO kicks in. Why? Because you can't get at a guy like Christ from outside. You got to have some Negroes on the inside. So who's the feds on the inside? Come Judas. I got you, baby. Uh, 
he's gonna be in the garden whomsoever i shall kiss that same he is jesus and that was one of my favorite lines in the end guys name players whoever got to play judas got to give that line whomsoever i shall kiss that same nothing when you see a 11 year old boy sneak up and say that was like, whomsoever i shall kiss that same he is jesus hold him fast <laughs> i mean so you know one of the reasons you have plays in church is to teach children not only these stories but to give them the responsibility of undertaking the ritual you gotta who is the feds in this role the feds of cornell pro this is the negro judas judas comes in and judas can't even hang with the weight once he's done, done they kill himself why you know what you did judas and the black messiah right i mean you you take the title and you make the movie you keep telling that story over and over again the christ of course is killed and the rest is history. Why? Because after you die, you die. Now, I'll get too deep into this, but uh, I don't know. Y'all remember y'all good New Testament people. Y'all had to remind me because I have had to ask our elder Jeremiah Wright. Yeah, that's who I trust probably more than anybody on the planet right now. If I want to have this conversation. Did Jesus Christ come back physically before he ascended? Well, the stone was rolled away from the tomb and the body was gone. Well, who saw it? Well, the lady says she saw it. And then we okay, did you see it? No, I didn't see it physically, but this lady here says she saw. So all y'all relying on this. Okay, I just I ain't mad at you because the body is gone. You understand? And then of course he appears again, ascends, and you know, now it's been what is this now? 20, about 1900 years or so we've been waiting for him to come back but we can keep waiting or we can realize that if it's a metaphor you ain't got to wait on nothing if you are your ancestors wouldn't that include christ so the whole idea in fact that's how they colonized africa these europeans came in with this very limited handle of christianity and told them africans that you got to resort resort to christ and they was like i don't know no jesus christ it's an oh sorry christ is one of your ancestors oh okay keep talking well, he he gave, you know, he came from a mother. Oh, okay. All right, keep talking. Is, okay, he, he died, he came back to life. Okay, keep talking. Is it Jesus? No problem. Give me that name. Which I'm gonna take your handle and put it next to mine. Oh, this is Olu Dumaray, and this is uh Eshu, and this is okay, no problem. Wait, well, wait, where you taking me? Now they in Haiti, now they in Cuba. Now, in fact, man, I am so happy. I finally got these. They're these two thick volumes hunting these and i finally got them on say this is volume one the encyclopedia of caribbean religions this is volume a through l and the rest they you did you go and get those or did they come in the mail well they came in the mail i couldn't no <laughs> they came in the mail right they, they did they did i had this is a, the university of illinois press had a sale but anyway this is uh this is the map of the caribbean and this this encyclopedia goes through all the ways of knowing in these in this area of the world where our ancestors was taken so it deals with the indigenous it deals hold, with, hold the cover up again called the encyclopedia of caribbean religions very interesting very i mean just a very powerful this first volume is about 500 some pages and you know it's got some color illustrations like i mean of course it got vodun that's in volume two there's some of the uh what they call the veve as they draw in the haitian vodun flags and everything is in here i mean but i've only raised it because just to give people a little bit of a sense in fact let's just look at this one this is from havana souvenir of the virgin of charity of el cobre Mary, you know what I'm saying with the baby. I'm saying, but see, the Africans could not make their um could not put their handle next to this European handle in the way that they conceived it because now you're oppressed, so they hid it up under Catholicism. Cadomblé, Vodun, Santeria, all the many different Lakumi, all the different traditions, Shouter Baptists, y'all do from y'all Trini and Tobago folk, y'all know about the Shouter Baptists or the Shango Baptists. I mean, all this stuff comes together. But the centrality of this family, 
this woman, this baby, this man, this physical man, and then this spiritual force that come, and then the people who are attracted to that. Howard Thurman lays it out. It's very simple. It's about family. And that baby at the center of the family, that baby is all the ancestors. So the Africans are brought into this European way of knowing an African export, as John Henry Clark said, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. African exports that get reinterpreted and then the Europeans' interpretation of Christianity after they've sent it through this cycle of the Romans absorbing Christianity and colonizing everybody else, they bring it back into Africa with their sickish interpretation. And uh, But then we are able to take it, that second framing question, how did Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life and use their identities and cultures as means to resist oppression, including enslavement? They absorb them back into us. So Howard Thurman is speaking in a vein that Africans should very much recognize these ways of knowing. So here we are on Christmas morning. And maybe we won't do a whole lot this morning. There's, there's one ancestor I want to mention because he's fascinating to me. And and then we did, we covered this last year, but I want to take a moment to, because tomorrow Umoja is the first day of Kwanzaa, to talk about that ritual, that um, way of resisting oppression including enslavement, including the apartheid that came after enslavement, the Black Power Movement. Um, ah, thank you. Thank you, Jack Miles, Professor Hunter. She, she found it. A crisis in the life of God. Even that, I mean, I'm telling you, man, <laughs> Miles, yeah, my, I don't have any regrets. I mean, what good would it have to have regrets? Howard Thurman writes about that in the mood of Christmas as well when he talks about the whole idea that, you know, when you're living, you understand that we're all going to leave here physically. So to obsess about whether or not we're going to leave here physically don't even make no damn sense. Yeah, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be here, you know? <laughs> so if I remember we talked about Lou Ross singing, Hell Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and uh, the original Julie Garden lyrics was like, you know, these are too depressing. Why? Because they reminded us that we not we might not be here next year. <laughs> you know what I'm well hell there's a whole lot of people not going to be here next year in fact the Kwanzaa calendar for this year from uh, our dear friends the Kwanzaa Collective in DC they've been doing it a long time they go to Kwanzaa calendar global African celebration ancient to the future one of the things I love about these elders in the, uh, the Kwanzaa Collective in Washington DC who go back now over 50 years they not only give you how to do Kwanzaa, what is Kwanzaa, you know, they give you a nice little thing, what to do, when to do it, you know, and those of you around the world, you know, Kwanzaa events, they got a pre-Kwanzaa event, because it's a solstice, right, 21st is a solstice, and then they do the, you know, the calendar, oh yeah, they also put in the Kwanzaa calendar in D.C., they give you important events for the rest of the year, major events for 2022, so of course Juneteenth is on here, Malcolm X's birthday is on here, Black History Month is on here, the UNIA, Garvey's birthday is on here, we talk about Black August, all these things we've talked about in the last year, the, the, I, I'm, I, I'm so, I'm giddy about next Saturday, because the 30th, you know, I said, well, maybe we could do this, some of this today, and we will do a little bit, but kind of go through some of the things that we talked about over the last year. We've done so much. But the, one of the things I love about this this uh this calendar, and I did have to leave the house to do to get this because um because of COVID, it's online. 
So if you want to go to, you know, kwanzadc.org, you can get this whole calendar. You can see what, what I'm showing to you now. But I'll, you know me, I like the physical copy because I don't trust these devices. You know, Tim, once they hit that master switch, we all going to have to go find each other. You know what I'm saying? I've got the, I'm going with the stuff. But so I had to go down to Sankofa for two reasons, to get this and also see what they got in for the new Kwanzaa books because uh, Kwanzaa uh, books, because one of the concepts of Kwanzaa is something called Zawadi. Zawadi means gifts in Kiswahili. Gifts in Kwanzaa should be made. Think about Olivia now. Think about some of our some of our newbie, our young Nubians who make things. You know, Olivia constantly making stuff in Chicago. <laughs> who did you give things to that you made with your hands? This is a beautiful thing. We think about that Christmas gift. I'm giving this is my gift to you, right? Um, Kwanzaa gift. I'm giving this to you. Uh, or purchased from black businesses, black vendors. So, you know, sitting here, and once I exhaust my coffee in my Nubia mug, I'm going to switch to water. And I got my water in my feisty, uh, you know, how she said she, you know, you know how Sunyata be doing. <laughs> Sunyata don't play. I love this. Decolonize your tongue. Every hoodie we make, I just be wanting to keep on. So this, I, my answer, I want to keep that on. Then I got the Nubia joint with our sister, Tuggies. I want to keep that one on. Then, you know, she got to decolonize your tongue. I want that to keep that on. So I'm moving my, but you get your gifts. You get your Zawadi from Black-owned businesses. And you order, many of y'all order through Narrative and Nubia. The, the, the line just keeps coming. My Dubois joint, I be rocking that Dubois joint. The Nubia joint, I like that. Oh, well, I, ain't gonna, I love it. I love all the things. That keeps us going. That keeps our circulation. This isn't black capitalism. It could be labeled that. But the simple fact of the matter is even my friends who are very radical and saying, you know, we need to abolish capitalism. Okay, do you put your money in the bank? Yes, but we got to abolish capitalism. Okay, do you get a check? Yes, but we got, okay. So in other words, while you are saying what you're saying is absolutely correct, in as we work toward that, we got to be smarter at how to convert from where we are to where we need to go. Yes, okay, so we really don't have any disagreement. No, you're a capitalist. No, you 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 saying that with a dollar in your hand. So <laughs> convert your Zawadi to Black-owned businesses, particularly those who are putting that money to work. So I went down to Sankofa. They, you know, they got the best books. I'm and of course we got Black bookstores all over the world. We have Kwanzaa celebrations all over the world. Um, there's a concept in Kwanzaa in a minute. I, in fact, let me see if I can. In fact, let me just pull it. I, I neglect. I, I didn't go and get all my Kwanzaa stuff. Much of it's in storage, but I have a few old thing, old hood school things. This is an old drawing from Philly. Kwanzaa, an African-American holiday. Africa with a K because during this period in the Black Nationalist Movement and Cultural Nationalist, still to this day, you see they on the steps here celebrating Washington, D.C. with a D.C. picture. You know, the K is to symbolize the fact that in many African languages, when you convert them uh, writing them in in the 26 character system that we call the alphabet uh the hard k sound is there but the soft sound of a c even when you the heart the soft sound of a c isn't so they use the k instead of the c just to convey that african you know so at any rate um so when you see africa with a k it's usually the black nationalist or the pan-africanist but and there's a beautiful drawing in the center of this that shows you the kwanzaa setup so you have the makeka which is the uh, Matt. In fact, I'll pull another book and show it to you. Um, I have both editions to this, but I pulled the um, the post office one because, again, how do you co-opt a tradition? Sometimes you absorb enough of it 
to keep the people from going away. Just like Christianity was a rogue, fugitive way of knowing to the Romans, they had to absorb it because they couldn't kill it. Well, Kwanzaa had to be absorbed too. So you remember when the post office unveiled a Kwanzaa stamp? It was 98, right? It's Bill Clinton was president. And uh, Dr. Karenga uh, published, this is the second edition. This is uh, the post office commemorative edition. There's a first edition that uh, I could show you all. It's a little bit different, but that's not that's not important. So I just pulled the post office edition to remind you that there was a, uh, this is Kwanzaa, a celebration of family, community, and culture. And so, let me see, I think there's a picture of the Kwanzaa display in here that I just wanted to, well, there are many of them, but I just want to, you know, show people a couple and then maybe I'll go back to the old school because that was hand-drawn and I just love how it looks. Here we are. Here we are. Oh, no, this is, uh, I may, I may not, man, let me see. Because I didn't mark it. If I had marked it, I could show it to you quickly. But it's Christmas morning. And this morning we have a little bit more of a, here we go. Have a little bit more of a Monday night vibe, you know. In class, we have a little bit different energy. There, family. You got the children, you got the mother and father, the family. You got the elements of Kwanzaa there. You got the candles. You got the mat. You've got the red, black, and green. You got the fruit. And I'm gonna go through all of those now, so that everybody can have them. And in fact, that on the cover, of course, Dub going so fast. There's everything you see. So the Nkeka or the mat. That is the straw that you put as the format as the foundation. And cake uh, the mat. It could be straw, it could be cloth, it could be whatever you have, but place that that represents foundation, that represents memory. It represents the ground on which we stand to evoke our ancestor, the great Pittsburgh Hill District brother, the great August Wilson, Frederick Cottrell, my man, Ashe. We talk about the ground on which we stand. And we did a whole session on August Wilson, right? Um, you have the uh, muhinda. Muhinda is the corn. If you got corn, you put one ear of corn for every child. Why? The harvest, the fruit, the children. I believe the children are the future. <laughs> you can believe that. You can also believe the children are your fate. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't, if you don't nurture them, why? But that corn is the result of a harvest, and that harvest is the result of a planting. Just, so just like the seed was planted that came into existence as Heru, just as the seed was planted that came into existence as Christ, just as the seed that was planted that came into existence as the food we will eat today, the, the children represent our labor, the fruit of our labor. What did Howard Thurman say the fourth of those elements was? Labor. That's crazy. Labor. We have labored. So, and as I hesitate to quote him, but since he said it, and that's the citation I usually use because it's one everybody else uses, even though he drew it from how the Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life and use their identities and, and cultures as means to resist enslavement. Our second framing question, Bill Cosby said, you know, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. But he only took that from what he had heard, remember, because he's quoting his parents in the Richard Allen Projects in North Philly. Shout out to my adopted hometown, Philadelphia. But the point is that children in the western concepts that congeal into what we call western society are often overburdened with adulthood before they adults we should do what the children say let's listen to the children those are two different things I always listen to the children 
but don't do what the children say. Are you, oh, I see. That's why y'all came up with that beauty pageant BS. Well, y'all got children dressed up like adults. Okay. That's the same foundation that pornography came from. Oh, I see. So now, okay, you talking about the trauma of picking cotton. What about the trauma of several thousand years up in the ice? Because y'all come with some crazy things. One of them is like children should be, uh, in fact, don't even listen to old folks. Oh, what big hands you have. <laughs> the better to eat you with. Oh, yeah. In other words, be scared of old folks because we ain't got no food, so we can't feed them. Let me slow down. The Mahinda represents corn, which is the bounty of our harvest and the children have an ear of corn for every child. Now, if you ain't got no corn in the house, you don't need to go get a can of corn and stick it on the uh, mateka. Now, just keep in mind that you must always have the children there. In fact, there, there's a number of, I mean, there's so many books on Kwanzaa and there's so many resources. And of course, now you don't need anything to start with online. You can go online and begin to get some of this stuff. I pulled one of the more recent books. It's a, it's a fairly decent Compendium, and it was a lot of people who work with Kwanzaa. I hand Hardy here in D.C., uh, my sister Maisha Ngoza Sullivan um, in in Philadelphia, um, a number of people. Those of you who are New Yorkers, you all are familiar with the organization that goes back to the 1970s called The East, Baba Jitui Osi and so many others, um, uh, Baba Segun Shabaka. My brother Segun Shabaka, uh, those of you who are, who are in Brooklyn, you know where Brooklyn at, you know, so uh, Boys and Girls High School, you know about the African cult, uh, African festival, the African street festival is held in the summers. Uh, the East is responsible for so much of that. Um, now, you got me thinking about my brother Kwasi, Kwasi Kanadu, uh, who uh, wrote a book on the East. Uh, in form. But some of those same people helped this brother, Keith Mays, who's out of Minnesota, write a book called Kwanzaa. Black Power and the Making of the African-American Holiday Tradition. This started his dissertation at Princeton University under the great scholar Nell Irvin Painter. It's a very good book by um, an observer on this ritual. I won't call him a participant observer because a lot of his analysis is tied to social structure, ways of knowing, social structure moving in memory. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of the reporting is good because it draws on the people who have started Kwanzaa, including Daddy Karinga, Tiamoyo Karinga, so many others. Um, but it is framed with a methodology that is not Africana studies. So this is not Black studies, but it's a good source, resource of sorts. But I raise it because it reminds us that for those who would say, well, Kwanzaa is a made-up holiday. And my answer is it absolutely is. And as soon as you name one holiday that's not made up, we can continue this conversation. I'm just trying to understand what you mean. <laughs> Christmas is a made up holiday. It, well, there ain't no Kwanzaa in Africa. There ain't no Christian. There ain't no Christmas in Bethlehem. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're we, we, we going to start reading these things as history books. Then ain't none of them going to be around. Now, if we're going to look at them as metaphors, now we understand. Just as the Christmas metaphor came out of a northern hemisphere solstice set of traditions that were, were boiled together through colonization and empire and then emptied into a hemisphere through imperialism and settler colonialism and then remixed by the various peoples that that, that, that tradition descended on so that everybody does their thing a little differently. So too did Kwanzaa emerge later as resistance 
And I will mention the other framing questions at this point, just to complete the set. But I, you know, so after you uh, asked, how do we uh, how do we begin to undertake the study of African experiences, and we get those framing questions, and for and, and methodology are our conceptual categories. That second question, how we use our cultures to resist it. Those that that second question continues through the other four. The third question, how did Africans preserve? Uh, no, how did Africans engage in um, practices of self determination? all over the world, particularly in the Western Hemisphere and what becomes the U.S. and what becomes the, the countries of the Caribbean, Latin America, Central America. We see that question takes us into the 19th century. You see these black Christmas traditions and oh man, I, I didn't even pull, I didn't pull none of my Christmas books. It's Christmas morning. And we talked about a lot of this already. So we, we did what we could to resist. So Dunbar remembering those days, those days Dunbar rem remembers come through the period of his mother and her mother and father and their mother and father who come through the lash, who come through enslavement and who don't present everything they do to the oppressors who have them. Remember that other, we just passed the anniversary as uh, my one of my former students now, brilliant young educator in Philadelphia, Sheree Hines, we had our Freedom Schools uh, in Bangui on Monday, as we know. We talked about that in office hours. Y'all know Nubians. And uh, that Monday, last Monday, was the anniversary of the publication in a book called Oak and Ivy, the great Paul Dunbar poem, Sympathy. I know why the caged bird sings. You know, um, and I think about that in the context of another poem that Dunbar published called uh, We Wear the Mask That Grins and Lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes this debt we pay the human guile with torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties why should the world be overwise and counting all our tears and sighs nay let them only see us while we wear the mask oh yeah we smile with oh great christ our cries to thee from tortured souls arise we sing but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world think otherwise. We wear the mask. Christmas Day, you don't invite just anybody into your house. You smile, you nod, you go back into what you're doing because it's about that family, it's about that community, it's about that peace. And Kwanzaa, in many ways, was resistance to a world that had at the top of its list working black people to death and then had them have, working their babies to death and then working their babies to death and then when the system did not was not sustainable freeing them into a market economy with no money and then working them to death and then working their children to death and then working their children to death and so kwanzaa emerging out of that long freedom struggle in this social structure held up the stop sign and said no Every ritual you have is organized around our inhumanity. So we're going to create one that it gathers together that momentum of memory that gathers together how we preserved our cultures and identities and used them as means to resist. So as you took that Yule log, as you took that Christmas tree, as you took that St. Nicholas, as you took that Saturnalia and Juvenalia, we are going to take these corn ears. We are going to take the Mkeka. We are going to take the Harvest Festival from the Ghanaians and the Nigerians and the Kenyans. We are going to take this language, this trade language from the Bantu languages and the Arabs and mix it together. And so we're going to, and we, beginning on the 26th of December, are going to ask a simple question. Habari Ghani, what's the news? What is that? That ain't no, what is that? That's Kiswahili. I mean, what's the news? The news. And the answer in Kiswahili would be in Jema Asante. 
Bargani. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? But the answer on the first day of Kwanzaa is Umoja. Umoja, what that mean? That mean unity, the black candle. The black candle. You like the black candle first. The black candle in the middle there. Huh, the middle, the middle, the black candle. You like the black candle first. The black candle. And when you like the black candle, Umoja. What is Umoja? And so I'm sorry, before let me, let me get too far ahead of myself. Let's go back to our drawing. You put it in a candle holder, a canara. Well, I ain't got no canara. You can make one. Well, I can't make one. You can go to the black bookstore, Sankova. You can go to the black vendors in the Kwanzaa markets around the country. The first major one in New York was at the Jacob K. Javits Center. St. Louis used to have a huge one. Those of you from St. Louis, you know my man Akbar Muhammad, who used to have Akbar's books and things. I bought many books from Akbar Muhammad over the years. Nation of Islam. I mean, Brother Akbar, my God. L.A., the Bay Area that has an old Kwanzaa tradition. A lot of people a few months ago jumped on the Vice President of the United States. Uh, say Kamala Harris said, yeah, I celebrate Kwanzaa. And they said, look, here she go again, fronting about some old shit. No, you better slow your roll, because if you remember where her mother and father went to school and what was going on in the Bay Area at the time and who her mother was very close to, she and her sister, Kamala and Maya, both. It was people in the Bay Area referred to their mother as Mama Shaimala. Why? You ain't no African, you India. Yeah, but I'm out here with the people who started Kwanzaa, the Bay Area. No question. I have no doubt those girls went to Kwanzaa. And so they had ears of corn representing them too. I'm saying these traditions that started in 1966 in LA that spread very quickly throughout uh, uh, West the West Coast. And then Karinga came East giving talks. One of the places he came was Howard University in 1968. Remember those students took over the administration building and called in 1968, not the Blackburn takeover of 2021 that we talked about, not the takeover of a few years ago with um, the um, HU Resist, not the takeover of 1990s, not the takeover of the 1980s that Josh Myers writes about and using April Silver's phrase, we are worth fighting for, not the takeovers of the 1970s, the takeover of 1967, 68, and Karinga comes and gives a talk about this. They have just started Kwanzaa. And one of the people who gets pulled into this very deeply is Brick City's own, Newark's own, Imamu Amiri Baraka. And it is Baraka and the Committee for a Unified Newark. It is the East in Brooklyn. It is the folks in Atlanta and in New Orleans. Go and find, uh, um, I see his face. It, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, in New Orleans, still here. But at any rate, it, it'll come to me. It's spreading everywhere. And for every one of you in Nubia right now, and for everybody, all of us who are watching later on YouTube, for everybody who's listening, whose name is Imani or Nia, these are not names that just came out to air to Black people. How do Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life and use their identities as means to resist enslavement, to means to resist colonialism, as means to resist settler colonialism and imperialism and all of the war? Those names came out of the resistance of the Nguzo Saba, the seven principles of Kwanzaa, the first being Umoja. So you light that Black candle first and you stick it in your Kanara. You put the Black candle there first. And then after you've lit it, Maybe you pour libation. What you gonna pour libation with? You might pour libation with this right here. The Kikomba wa Umoja. That's the cup of unity. Kikombe wa Umoja. Kikombe cup wa of Umoja. Unity. 
the cup of unity. I don't have a cup like that. Well, make one. Can't make one. Go buy one in a black place. Okay. Can't make. Okay. Get a cup. Just get a cup. Put some water in it. Pour it out. And one of the things I love about the DC calendar is they put a number of the national ancestors we know at the back of the calendar, front of the calendar always looks like this. The back always got a lot of the people. And we talked, how many people we talk about Fred Hunter this year? Bob Moses, Renoko Rashidi, right? There's Cicely Tyson up there, Mario Van Peebles. I was just thinking about it, all the numbers. There's Gloria Richardson there. Even Glenn Ford. I mean, they always put the ancestors there. And look at the Adinkra symbol. And the Adinkra. That's right. Yes, for the unknown warriors. Always. Symbol representing unity. And this is the Sankofa four times. This is the love Sankofa. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yes, yes. I'm glad you said that. I'm getting choked up. These are four hearts. It's like four hearts that Sankofa. But it's going inward. There's that bird going inward. These aren't hearts. These are that bird going inward on both sides, going inward, going inward to go forward. That is the symbol you see inscribed by the great Haitian uh, designer inscribed in the monument at the New York African burial ground. Shout out to my man, Ranger Jimmy Cleckley. If it weren't for COVID, I would probably be in New York tomorrow. Because on the 26th, the first day of Kwanzaa, our family at the New York African Burial Ground have citywide Kwanzaa. The drummers and dancers come. Last time I was up there, the drummers and dancers came from from Camden, Universal, people from across the bridge there from Philly. And they had the drummers and dancers. And so they drumming and dancing and then you know how drummers and african drummers and dancers go you get into this thing just gets heavier and heavier and everybody's dancing and everybody's there we in the lobby there the federal building there's a huge cosmogram that was designed by our dear brother houston conwell uh kinshasa conwell's partner kinshasa of course the deputy director of new uh, the african american museum here in dc the smithsonian uh, her husband Houston. That was the co- that was the cosmogram he designed. He also did the one at the Schomburg. When y'all go to the Schomburg, the one where Langston Hughes's ashes are buried underneath that cosmogram. Houston Conway. Both of them Howard University Fine Arts. They were at Howard when Howard was the Fine Arts place. Was basically the black that was the Black Arts Movement University arm. The great Jeff Donaldson. We're, gonna, we're not going to leave any of this because all this is coming out of Kwanzaa spirit. This is the black Kwanzaa is the holiday came out the Black Power movement. You really can't dilute it, Walmart. You really can't dilute it, Target. You really can't dilute it. Those of you who have absorbed enough of it now so you can buy Kwanzaa gifts from them. If you buy Kwanzaa gift from them, you have violated the principle of Kwanzaa. I'm sorry. Unless, unless they have contracted with black creators and we know that there are black creators who are on the shelves now. It wasn't just uh, Sylvia's who put the soul food in the cans and stuck them in the bed. There are people, they're black labeled. So going to grocery stores, this black owned? Okay, I'll buy that. Very important. But the point is this. So the New York African Burial Ground on 26th, they do the emoji. And I've been honored to pour libation for that ritual and light the candle, light that black candle. I remember, the, maybe it's the last time I was there. It's been a couple of years now, a few years before COVID. And um and I just got an email. They they not had they're gonna they're not gonna have the physical. They're gonna try to have the physical. Of course, Omicron shut that down. But uh, they were drumming and dancing. And it's probably about at this point, probably about maybe ten or fifteen drummers, uh, double that of dancers. And then the community is there. Probably yeah, maybe a couple hundred people in the circle. And people are still coming in. And it's one young bull. 
and I'm saying I don't know where he was from. I forget now. I forget where it is. It was Brooklyn, Harlem, wherever. You know, we in Lower Manhattan, and the mama sitting there. You know, the elders are sitting around. The brothers are sitting there. You know, and she's got the baby. And this boy is just, he old enough to walk. So I. He's probably like three years old, four years old. He got his bubble goose on, you know. He maybe from Staten Island. Island, shout out to the woo. Had his little, you know, join has his little stocking cap. You know, these little boys. He's sitting there. Now it's getting hot. Take off my jacket. All right, she got it off nice and neat. You just see him squirming. He wasn't that old because he had a bottle, milk bottle. This little boy finally decided he couldn't be in his mama's arms no more. So he just, so fine, she just put him down. He's dark. He, they're sitting in the first ring of people. And if y'all know the federal building where the New York African burial ground is outside and then the visitor center is there where they preserve Ranger Cleckley and his people, you know, it's a big, it's, it's cosmogram's huge. Y'all should look it up. And the people, we're all sitting around the cosmogram. Now, I'm going to pour libation in a minute. I'm watching this little boy push his way now. Now he didn't push his way. He done walked onto the cosmogram. He stops. This is a true story. He stops right at the line. You know, cosmogram is that circle. We've talked about that many times. He's at the line, the Kalunga line, and his feet are at the circle marking Louis Armstrong's house. Because <laughs> they got all kind of points there. They got points from all over the world, the African world, and then they got local New York places. He's at the new, he's at the line where Lewis, he's watching these drummers. And there's a little boy in the Camden group, Universal, who looks around. He's like, he's his age, but he got on cowrie shells. He got his thing. He got his little feathered hat on like the, like the older men have. And he got his drum and he just. So little boy's just looking. He's, the little boy never stops looking at this other little boy, takes his baby bottle, turns the bottle upside down. Puts it between his knees and starts hitting the bottom of the page like he playing his drum. That is a true story. <laughs> I ain't tell you what I, I saw that. I'm like, how did Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life? Who am I? Am I really who I am? Am I all I ought to be? That little boy. And so after you know we finished the ceremony and we did that, I would just mind say, yeah, ask him. I say, look, you gotta get him a drum. You gotta get him a drum. <laughs> you gotta hit this little boy a drum. So anyway, that was the first day of Kwanzaa unity. So when you light the candle now, everybody not gonna be a citywide Kwanzaa. Those are some of my greatest memories. Citywide Kwanzaa, Queen Mother Moore, Audley Moore. I understand that there's a book being written uh, about um, uh, Audley Moore right now, and that's very nice. It'll be another uh, observer book on Queen Mother Moore. But I've been with Queen Mother Moore on her birthday. She would come to Columbus, Ohio at Kwanzaa celebrations. Queen Mother Moore, you honor your elders. And that first day, unity, or you be at your house. Some of you all say, I didn't know about Kwanzaa. Well, you can start tomorrow. You don't need to go right and scurry and get no candles. In it. There are many things. I mean, like I said, y'all can look, y'all can go to the DC one, because when you go on the website, they're going to show you how to link in on the Zooms. So just come. And when you come, you'll see that, you know, what you would do at your house, they're going to do there, which is what? You light the candle, you talk about the principle of the day. And the principle of the day, day one, is umoja, to strive for and maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race. Unity. Unity. It it's the black candle, the first candle. So at any rate, and then you talk about that principle. 
And you talk about what has happened since last Kwanzaa. How do we maintain unity? How do we think about we? Who is we? Those things we talk about. We practice these principles, those in Guzo Saba. So at any rate, and you pour that libation. And I pour the libation. And the, thing, the way I pour libation, I won't get into it in detail. But I do it the way that I was taught from observation and through instruction. There's many different ways to pour libation. There's no wrong way. Many people do it. It's an acknowledgement of those ancestors and those who are here and those who are coming. So I always try to keep that in mind when I'm pouring libation. You call the names, some of the names that we've used as handles, as Howard Thurman says, to talk about the notion of whatever created what we're in. Um, you evoke the names of the places we are from, beginning with the African continent and going around the world. You evoke the names of national ancestors, major figures, Toussaint Louverture, Henri Christophe, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Nanny, Queen of the Maroons, you name it. Harriet Tubman, who on Christmas Eve one year liberated three of her brothers from enslavement on the eastern shore of Maryland. We passed that anniversary yesterday. All these things, right? And remember that one of the reasons why it's easier to do it during Christmas is because the enslavers used to give us, quote unquote, the 25th to the 1st of January off, so to speak. And as Fred Douglas writes, they get frustrated because they want black people to get drunk and run foot races and Negroes would go uh, tend their gardens and take care of business because <laughs> this is my time. And so at any rate, Tubman went on that mission on a Christmas Eve, one Christmas Eve before the Civil War. So you, you call those national and then you ask whoever is present, and you can do this at your families, and I love doing it in, in, in big community convenings. I remember one uh, Kwanzaa, we were over in Alexandria, Virginia, um, and the community, my man, Salim Adolfo, uh, Brother Salim and his crew, uh, they invited and he came, uh, our brother Jeremiah Wright. So I got a chance to see Baba J on a time I normally wouldn't see him. I always see him in January, um, but he came and talked about the principles of Kwanzaa. Very important. But at any rate, you ask people during libation, you call your ancestors. And we all call our bloodline ancestors. So we name those ancestors. And then we you know, pour libation. I ask everybody to think of the people who are not here physically, but who are still on the ground, still here physically, who we are representing at that moment. And then you pour libation for the children's children's children. That little boy with the baby bottle, his grandson and granddaughter, his niece and nephew who aren't here yet. All those people, you put them in. And so you kind of do that libation and, and, and you you get you a special cup. In fact, my cup is over there in the corner. Uh, Baba Jimmy, Ranger Jimmy Cleckley at the New York African Burial Ground where I poured libation. I pour libation every time we go with the Howard students. We haven't been the last couple of years because of COVID. But Jimmy and his crew, man, I love those guys. They started, they got a cup. And they now, instead of me getting off the bus, seven, eight buses, myself, Dana Williams, and our crew from Howard University freshman, the freshman seminar in the College of Arts and Sciences, instead of us bringing our, you know, bottles with, they come out with the cup and the rangers. It's nothing like seeing those rangers at the New York African Burial Ground. Meeting us, all these buses of students, several hundred students, and then you here they come with the, the, the special cup. Then we pour the water in the cup, do libation out there where the crypts are, where they're buried, where, they, where their ancestors are buried. Those 419 Africans who represent all of us buried in the New York African burial ground. So they got two cups. They got a cup they keep there, and then they got a cup that they gave me that I keep here, and I, my cup is over there. So you got the canara, the, uh, the black candle, unity. Now, a uh, couple of other things uh, I'll mention. Um, the as i said the zawadi or the gifts 
you have those you can put those here on the uh the matunda the fruits because kwanzaa means first fruits it's a harvest piece so christmas you know celebrating in in the solstice season kwanzaa represents the fruits of your labor so we're coming together to talk about the fruits of our labor what we're going to do with them what we've done them in the past how we will remember and so the the second candle is kujichagalia kujichagalia and in now oh mind you here let me let me show you the thing here you see how this works we can talk about the Bindara, what they call bendara in kwanzaa the flag the black candle is in the middle you light that one first then you put the three red candles over here on the right, the three black candles on the left. Together, red, black, and green, as uh, the great Roy Ayers uh, recorded the song Red, Black, and Green, my man, Baba Kaba uh, on WPFW in DC, who always has the Kwanzaa Collective on talk about, that's his theme music on Monday afternoons and his African Deep Thought song, when you hear it come on. Red, black, and green, if you think about it, you know what I mean? Red, black, and green. Yes, red, black, and green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red is for the... The whole question, red is for the blood of the people. Red is for the blood of the people. Red is for us. It is our blood. The blood that never loses its power. We talked about the blood. One of the things we did, we'll talk about next week, that episode we did on the black church. Oh, man, that's one of my favorite ones, that black church. We went through that, right? I mean, the blood. And then you entitled it that, the blood that runs from Nat Turner. We talked about that, that blood. Blood that has been spilled, but it's our blood. Why? Because as John Henry Clark says, when it comes down to a fight, blood called blood. And somehow, Dr. Clark said, blood always answers. So some of y'all mad because you seen Kim Potter with a smile on her face after the verdict was read and they took her mugshot. Why is she smiling? She's smiling because they didn't already put book on a commissary. They got her GoFundMe probably up over a couple million dollars and she going to do some eight years and come on out. Probably be a Fox News commentator. She's smiling because I'm past the worst of it. Yeah, I killed him. Yeah, I killed him. It wasn't no mistake. <laughs> but I'm past it now. They'll give me 10 or 15. I'll do something eight on my head in isolation, like Chauvin. Hell, maybe we're going to tour. Shit, I might even run for governor of Minnesota one day because this country's coming apart. And somehow, John Harry Clark say blood calls blood. And somehow, he says blood always answers. Red is for the blood. Oh, get your blood. Who are you? Red is for the blood. Black. Red also means struggle. Black is for the people. Unity, Umoja, black, the first candle, the first candle, the black candle, Umoja, black candle, and green, green is for prosperity, green is for the fruits, green is the color that represents the future and possibilities, red, black, and green, those are the reason those colors are in the flags of so many African countries. That's the reason those colors are in the flags of so many Caribbean countries. If not all of them, one or two of them, two of them at least, you see them throughout Africa and in Ghana. There's a reason that black star is in the middle of the Ghanaian flag. That black star is there because when the Ghanaians took their independence in 1957, that flag of Ghana is, is an echo of the red, black, and green flag, those colors and that flag that represent those colors come from, I'm not going to get my red, black, and green flag, come from 
Marcus and Amy Garvey, the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League of the World, the Jamaicans coming into the African diaspora and bringing us all together. We talked extensively about Garvey. We even read Garvey through Costa Rica, where you saw the Garvey chapters there, the still there because of the young sister from Costa Rica who won the medal at the Olympics this summer. We talked about that in class. So much ground that we covered. But you light, you go to the right and hit that green candle next, Kujichagalia. So you're gonna you're gonna alternate black umoja, green. Kujichagalia, Kujichagalia, self-determination to define ourselves, name ourselves, create for ourselves, speak for ourselves, rather than allow to allow others to do these things for us. Self-determination. I'm gonna name myself. Yeah, I'm gonna name myself. Mary Berry was a drug addict. Mary Berry was mayor for life. You can't say that. Hmm. Who can't say that? You. Okay. You. By you, you mean me. Yeah. Okay. I'm me. And I am my ancestors. You and your ancestors can name whatever the hell you want to name. But uh, we, unless we come up with some agreement, there ain't no we. We are better than this. Who is we? It, now, if Kim Potter with you, I'm not with you. This is very simple. Keith Ellison, the, the Attorney General of Minnesota, did the right thing. He had. I mean, he did the thing that you're supposed to do. If we're gonna be a we, you had to make that. And guess what, brother Ellison, who came into Islam through the nation of Islam, and Muslim, alhamdulillah. Uh oh. You know what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, we're gonna talk about it, right? But if you, but you, right? But if you're gonna believe those principles, then you understand that there are Muslims in the world that would say that the nation of Islam, Muslims are not Muslims. But guess what? The only way that's not true, I mean, the only way that that's true is if we aren't self-determining. And what did Elijah Muhammad say? Accept your own and be yourself. <laughs> In other words, just be yourself. In other words, self, it's okay to name yourself. You came up with the first names in human history. If you can't name yourself at this point, this is amnesia. This is a disruption. This is a problem. So the second principle of Kwanzaa after unity is self-determination, that green candle. And then day three, you move over to Ujima. Ujima, collective work and responsibility. Well, if that's not newbie, if that's not narrative, collective work and, 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 and responsibility to build and maintain our community together. This is important. Black entrepreneur. Okay, is this black entrepreneur hiring black people? Sourcing from a black supply chain? Well, no, but I'm successful. Okay, well, that's great. Congratulations. But, you know, and I guess that's better than going somewhere else if we don't have other alternatives, but we have other alternatives to build and maintain our community together and to make our sisters and brothers problems our problems and to solve them together. Together. This is clean to get unity, the black candle. That next candle, day three, Ujima, is red. Now you go to the other side, red candle. See, 
The thing about things that come later in time is that they have the potential advantage, if they take advantage of it, this is the momentum of memory, of gathering together the things we've learned in previous generations. This is the word, this is the phrase of the great John Burks Gillespie. I remember writing a chapter for our African World History Project, ASCAC, uh, our second volume is going to come out at some point. And uh, my article was on historiography, because that's the first volume subject is historiography. So uh, Dr. Rose, before he made transition, said, your article going to be first. I'm like, man, I don't even know. And of course, they're all ancestors now, which is now it falls on me and Dr. Beatty to continue the project. And we are. But in the article, I quote John Burks Gillespie, Dizzy Gillespie from South Carolina, who says that he was asked about improvisation. Y'all jazz artists, y'all improv y'all improvising jazz. First of all, jazz is the label you gave it, but it's cool. Self-determination, we'll call it whatever. We call it music, but it's cool. So well, what is improvisation? He says, improvisation is a gathering together of all the experiences you have, everything you have, in order to resolve the question of how to go from here to here to here. People think improvisation in music, when Black people do it, is like Black people in athletics. We just rolled out the bed and started dancing and singing and hitting jump shots and dunking and playing music. No, it is a gathering together of the things that have come before you and using those things as a means to help you understand how to resolve how you move through time and space how you move through time and space migration is the central theme in human history migration of ideas if you get up and just start from scratch well first of all you're not starting from scratch why because somebody's memory gonna be in your mind if you go to school and let them plant their memories in you you'll get up start talking crazy hell you might take all your creative intelligence and make up a musical called hamilton or a movie called uh, West Side Story and think you made some progress because now you black in the role. No, you can't redeem that movie. You can't redeem them settler slave owners. I don't care how much you try to pump some Africana in it. That ain't Africana studies. You got somebody else's momentum of memory and you just gonna walk back up in them chains. You're not breaking the chain, you making new chains. So self-determination is followed by Ujima, collective work and responsibility because no individual beats institutions. Individuals don't beat institutions. We've said it a million times. That's a Kwanzaa principle. That's in Guzo Saba. That is our deep memory. Number four, now the fourth night. So Sunday night, Umoja. Monday night, Kujichagalia. Tuesday night, Ujima. Wednesday night, I'm sorry. Tuesday night would be Ujima. Now we at the fourth night, Wednesday night, Ujamaa. What is Ujamaa? Ujamaa is cooperative economics. Well, that's capitalism. No, slow down. Remember, Kwanzaa comes out of the Black Power Movement. It is a Black Power holiday. It is a Black Power ritual. It is not a ritual tied to any specific religion, nor does it exclude. I told y'all Jeremiah Wright sitting there, everybody there, community, unity. In fact, they used to talk about operational unity or unity without uniformity. We all got space up in there, the fourth night, Ujamaa, cooperative economics to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses and to profit from them together. Black candle, first candle, together, unity. Meaning what? There's no good for you to be a millionaire and this child ain't got nothing to eat. You're not even going to give her a job in there? Or better yet, 
job is really not even job is the point of entry training and now we need some stock and if we need to create a non-profit in fact we need to create you know everybody as professor karen hunter would say bring they brick why we're building together ujima we're building together and we will use our economics ujima to profit together one of the reasons we move into 2022 that this space that we have called narrative and nubia is a backbone with so many things in the immediate offing that we're about to hear about that we're beginning to hear about is that as we build and pool our resources we can do more there are so many things we need to do so many things that are already being done that will be that much more incredible as we come together narrative is a place to bring together people already doing things who have been doing things that they've inherited for decades even centuries and for people who are starting from square one in terms of their own efforts connecting now with the momentum of memory so i didn't know oh i didn't know what you oh can i become wait can you imagine the farmland the the the, the libraries all of that when we come together for next kwanzaa I don't even, I, I mean, you know, we talk about the things, you know, the foundations, and we're going to end with this in a second. I'll talk about this, brother, just for a couple of minutes, but HBCUs are great. I work at one. I went to one. That's a lifelong commitment for me. Self-determination, still look close to them people in terms of their ideas. So our work here is better than working there, but this ain't the destination. This is an improvisation. It's a gathering together of everything we have to move from here to here. Wait, but here ain't the destination to here. <laughs> Disney said from here to here to here. Well, we ain't quite to here yet. To here for me means a facility with room for thousands on thousands of thousands of books and ephemera and equipment for scanning and connecting and then room for much, much more than that where we convene and think through where I and my colleagues and all of us can have these young people in and give them research assignments in real time and then take a break. Everybody eat, come around, table them in, and then we broadcast the cons that we have it down there to the whole world. And then, and then at that point, see, that's when you find out when blood calls blood, blood answers. That's when you find out who your friends are. The first thing they come with is, oh, we need to give you all a grant. No, we good. We grant ourselves. You see, we practice the fourth principle of Kwanzaa, Ujamaa, cooperative economics. Then it becomes. This is a problem. See, ain't no, there ain't going to be no CRT arguments in spaces like that. Just like there ain't no CRT. I ain't worried about CRT. I'm not trying to define my humanity in terms of trying to get in their space. See, what you know what that ends up doing? That ends up giving you uh, uh, a concept like black love is about saving American democracy. I heard that foolishness somewhere recently. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. The fifth principle. Now, no. <laughs> And before and, the, and let's sit in it for a minute since we have time. Yeah. I know you wanted uh, to no, wrap. No, no, let's, let's have time. Let's have time. Um, but I'm like, take your time, Doc. Take your time. Mm. You know, as we go through these principles of Kwanzaa, I remember when I first decided that that was going to be a principle of the Karen Hunter Show: everyday Kwanzaa. Come on now, everyday Kwanzaa. It's not about the 26th through the next seven days. It's about every day. So I just asked you, Reyes, during during our conversation here to make sure that there's a shirt that represents each and every day with the principal on it. And he was like, well, it's not going to be ready to ship out in time. I'm like, we're not operating in this, this time. 
we are building for the future. We are, so as you're talking about what you see in terms of what an academic space looks like or an educational space, yes. which is what, you know, inspired, not just in class, but Nubian narrative inspired when you started talking about, when I asked the question, how did Africans learn? And you talked about the elder around the tree. Mm. And I was like, can we virtually create that since we're in a pandemic? And fast forward a year, here we are with narrative. And now a few months ago, Nubia, where the tree uh, and the elders around the tree, there's so many elders in Nubia, just, I mean, it's, it's incredible. But we're watching in real time, the development of an idea fomented in the spirit of this, this Kwanzaa, the Kwanzaa principles now manifest every single day. And people bring in their brick. It's not propelled by me and you, it's no. propelled by everybody. So who is we in, in Nubia narrative? You know who we is. We know who we is. But I just wanted to sit in that for a minute in terms of the vision, because I need everyone to think about, you know, as we reimagine our holidays, as we reimagine our family lives, merry community, you know, not merry Christmas, merry community, as we start to uh, think about it, because we can't get there here to here to here without everybody imagining where the next here is, the next destination. Mm. Everyone has to be able to imagine that. And y'all not just coming along. We're not dragging people. You are participating in creating the, the here that we need to land in. And it's a long-term here. So we're gonna put those everyday Kwanzaa principles up on a t-shirt to codify, you know, sort of like our uniform. We're gonna even, you know, put up who is we, you know, <laughs> the is working on that right now as well. Be because these are ideas that we have to keep, you know, bringing back, you know, every day, we have to keep reminding ourselves of these things. But I want I want you to you know keep going with your vision for what that looks like because for me you know it's we we've talked about this off mic it's it's a repository of all of the things so Howard Thurman for example is in narrative you bring him up but now people can go on a deep dive in narrative and find out who Howard Thurman who I learned so much about in our conversation because we have these breakouts of you should know people uh the, that Marcus Garvey that the John Brown the Anna Hegeman the you know SE SE Robeson all of these and we're going to do more of them and it's going to be curriculum you're doing a whole africana studies class yes uh, and so people I, I how do I take a class with Dr Carr join narrative and not, and not just me right Right, join narrative. And then we got Mario Beatty doing the whole hieroglyphs, meta nature. We're going to have Alethea Watkins in. There's going to be a slate of great educators, master educators. But for me, it's also about the community. So as, as we question. grow, like people buying land together, let's have farming collectives, which are already started. Let's, let's not ever be in a situation where we need anything. So that collective economics or cooperative economics is foundational. And again, we only exist because we decided we want to be here. We decided to collectively that this is something that was important. That's and right. you show the world what's important by what you put your time and energy and money into. So I just, I want you to just sit in it. Keep, keep telling us what your vision is as people start to think about what is your vision for what this space can be. And then what are you going to bring to make sure it gets there? Yes. I'm sitting in it and listening and letting it resonate. And thank you. Thank you, Professor Hunter. When we first met, when uh, when, when our sister Ajua Bartway Osmore brought me up to New York, when we sat there, I and I've said this to you many times, and some of it in space, but I want to say it again this morning. It 
the worlds that you operate in, and many of those worlds are foreign to me and foreign to many of us. And you operate in them with the spirit, the insight, and the determination that we see in these Kwanzaa principles. You operate them with them in the spirit of Kwanzaa. And, it, and what it demonstrates is that you, like all of us, are in a world that we don't have to be of. And that really, in terms of even Christmas, as we as we are here on Christmas Day, a very recent holiday in world history, differently even in America than it is around other places in the world, we understand that this ritual that is quote unquote celebrated that is observed on the 25th of December emerges out of a self-determination formation marked by the birth of Christ in that tradition that is very much a resistance of being in a community that is not of that world, of that Roman world initially, of that imperial world, that that world tries to collapse and subsume, but that somehow, as Howard Thurman reminds us, persists in spite of that social structure's attempt to absorb it and rechannel its energies. And so with first the global majority, and you entering these spaces that are often quite hostile to those types of principles of community. They're only not hostile to them if they can see a way to absorb them and convert them into profit and profit in a merciless, mercenary, avaricious sense. The way that Howard Thurman says that the world often treats us or we allow ourselves to be treated or, or see we don't have any feel like we don't have any choice. And then emerging with the hub and then continuing with narrative and Nubia. The only way that any of that was possible was that it is what was passed on to you, mm. what you saw as a child, which means you are operating in the culture and in the grounding in the spirit. Again, that second frame of question, how did or do Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life and use our cultures and identities as means to resist oppression, including enslavement and everything that the afterlives of enslavement? Well, this is evidence of it. And the gratitude that we have, that I have, that we all have for you is a gratitude we have for our ancestors and how they operate through you and how we coming to that are able to build. And as you say, the metaphor of the pyramids, the metaphor of the physical construct and the meta now the reality of the virtual space, we are building and we are not alone in that. There are so many others and they go the full range, but what a space like this does, which is why that water metaphor, we, 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 we both continue to come to over and over again, pouring that clean glass of water is so important because when offered the option, when able to see the option, people who have been pouring clean glasses of water other places will come and say, now we we'll let us pour together. This is Ayikwe Arma, 2000 Seasons. You know, this is the work of Ngugi Watiango and so many others thinking about this notion of how do we create these spaces where we can live and not live in this persistent death, in this persistent orientation to death. And those who are in spaces who want that clean glass think, now I can come and nurture and contribute my own and we come together and it allows us to see the good as it is reflected across the spectrum i think about our brother the Astor gates there in uh, chicago and every time i go to chicago stony island and i was back and forth with him on email a little while during the pandemic uh, 
little while ago this year. And it's told him, you know, one of the things that uh, other of the countless things I'm sad about is I haven't had a chance to get back to Chicago. Anytime I go to Chicago and go over to Stony Island's art, arts man can sit in Mr. Johnson's library, John Johnson's library that he has reserved there on the second floor. Um, you know, I love that brother. And, you know, we've talked about him. And last time I saw him was at the Schomburg, my um, former student who was working at the Schomburg and then um, uh, Alex Mitchell, who's now at the California African-American Museum, brilliant young sister, had brought some of us together to talk about this question of coming together. It's just a reminder that Nubia and narrative is a is another space. And it also has the uh, the momentum of memory of, of recognizing that all these other spaces that are out there, here's another space where we can all share and come together. And so, as I've said, part of, you know, the thing that, that I love about this space is not only is it created by Black people, not only is it convened by and supported by and continues to grow through the strength of Black people, which includes sacrifice, you know, if you've joined, if you're here, that means you paid a nominal fee and that's not nominal for some people. We understand that with one reasons why we still, you know, YouTube people see, understand this, that we all sacrifice and that it isn't sacrifice when you are emptying it into yourself. That would be like saying eating healthy food is a sacrifice. Well, is it a sacrifice? Is your body responding positively? Yeah, then that's what you should be doing with whatever resources you can put together. And I'm saying that to say that there, you know, for many years, my comrades who are teachers like us in the craft have been looking for this space. And so as we've developed over the last year and a half, and certainly this last year, some have reached out to me, some I knew from the beginning uh, were going to join us and they are now chomping at the bit. I'm talking about professors and, you know, there are professors everywhere. There are teachers everywhere. K-12, you know, K-12 crew is just, man, we got some of the most cold-blooded educators that we have, we know, and we're going to get so many more. I'm thinking now about university professors and with all due respect to all of our colleagues who through circumstance or choice went to HWCUs to work, God bless you. We want everybody with this core, this teaching core. I'm thinking about the HBCU professors who I know, who I'm deeply who we are investing in, friends who have labored and whose love and reward is poured into those children, into those young people who will now come here, who are now coming here, preparing to come here and say, here we are. So it's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just us. There's so many other places. And, and so, yeah, sitting in that one and see, oh, by the way, y'all, for Kwanzaa, that's how Kwanzaa works. You light the candle and you had this conversation. This will be the conversation we'll be having Wednesday with Ujamaa, cooperative economics. This would be, this is how Kwanzaa, this is how Kwanzaa is observed and practiced. So the, the, the last couple, Nia, you know, a lot of Nia's, right? Nia Damali. Um, there's so many different Nia's we know, right? What's the actress name? Uh, Nia Long. Nia Long. You see, it's so funny how we see the Black Power Movement in our daily lives. And now I, I, I can't even use this metaphor anymore. When, when I was, you know, teaching young children, K, K, K4, K5, when I just got out of college, and then when I started teaching Ohio State when I was in graduate school and had those, you know, you could say in the early 90s, you could say, you know, if I say Shaquille O'Neal, nobody laughed. Then I say Shaka Zulu, and some of y'all started laughing. Well, now it ain't nothing to hear African names. It ain't nothing to hear. I mean, it, but, but that's not that didn't just come because we said, OK, you want to start respecting you. No, this was a cultural war. 
one of the things Mays does a decent job in, in his book on Kwanzaa, he talks about this fight. Now he's talking about it as an observer. He's not really at the center of it, but, but and he drives it in a ditch when he starts talking about these other traditions. But I understand because he don't know that. And that's cool. I would love this brother to come in. We have a conversation. Maybe come on one Monday night. And we have a conversation because he contributes so much to it. But the fight resulted in this. So you see a, a child like Nia uh, as a child. She got the name Nia as a baby. That means something. She didn't have to change her name. See, Shaka Khan had to change her name. Shaka Khan was in the Panthers. One of her names is Oshun. You know what I'm saying? She had to change her name, but she changed her name. This, the, Nia Law had changed her name. She got that name. Nia means purpose. And so, you know, the, the fight, and, and, and Keith doesn't really talk about this. Maze, Professor Maze doesn't talk about I don't know the brother. Professor Maze doesn't talk about this as much in, in his book, but there's another article by my friends, James Turner and Betty Collier Thomas. I think it's the Journal of American Ethnic History where they write about Kwanzaa. And one of the things they talk about is the fight that young teachers took. Young teachers took the Kwanzaa fight into the schools. We talked about this last year, so I won't belabor it, but I will mention it for those of you who may be new. And if you haven't gone back, you should look at our Kwanzaa conversation. But in the 1970s, you know, many of us, myself included, growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, first generation to come post-desegregation, really overlap, we're closer to the second, but really there in 1970, 71, 72, we started school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. We go into a classroom and learn about the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, an important ritual, very important ritual, out of traditions, again, imported from our African exports, which are purposed and shaped toward a culture of preservation and resistance. You could ask that second framing question of all the traditions that are grouped under the broad label Jewish. How did Jews preserve and affirm their identities and their culture and use their ways of life and knowing as means to resist oppression? Now, see, if you ask that question and say Jews instead of Africans, what happens? Although African Jews are at the founder of it, but we're not going to talk about that today. The the people say, oh yeah, that's interesting. And they can list all. And now you say Africans, and like, well, what are you talking about? You're right. But we learned about Hanukkah. It was great. Spend the dreidel, learn off of I'm a black kid. What those young black teachers did in places like New York and Philly and other places, they brought Kwanzaa into the public schools. They said, no problem. We're going to learn. Uh, we know Christmas. We're going to learn some more. We're going to make Christmas cards. Like we made Halloween cards. Like we made, you know, Valentine candy and all this kind of all these other pagan Christian rituals y'all done brought in. You're cutting out people's hearts because of martyrs. Because, you know, St. Valentine's a martyr. We talked about that another day. But now we're going to learn about, uh, we're going to learn about uh, Hanukkah too. Why? Because we got these Jewish school teachers who came in. Y'all going to learn about our culture. We shared. No problem. It's great. Yeah. Now, Kwanzaa, huh? Yeah. Kwan yeah. Uh-huh. Habarigani, huh? Yeah. Say it, say it, say it. Habari, Ghani, very good. What's the news? Okay, Umoja. What do you mean? And these little black kids is like, Umoja. Nicely done, young woman. Nicely done, young lady. Now take that home to your mom and them. In other words, these school teachers were the front line. Shout out to them. Almost all of whom are retired now, many of whom are ancestors, but they were the first wave beyond the black nationalist community. And in the naming ceremonies, my name, Kimati. Yikuyu name, searcher, provider, name out of Kenya, Dedan Kimathi, field general of the Kenyan Land Freedom Army, known as the Mau Mau. The name I have, Kimathi, is a name people know me by in Pan-Africanist National Circles community. That name, I received that name from a Yoruba, uh, Ia priestess, the Ia Mama, Ahwesi Nelson. 1987 Meharry Medical College, one of the first night, the first on the second night, maybe of the citywide Kwanzaa. We had citywide Kwanzaa's in Nashville. My mother is a queen mother in Nashville. 
Um, she's the last living queen mother of the queen mothers who were made queen mothers when she was made a queen mother about maybe about 25, 20, 25 years ago in Nashville. Um, Baba Omar, Omar Jute was in charge then. We also had Baba before him, Kwame Lillard, Leo Lillard. And they had a big fest at the big ritual at Meharry. And that's where I received that name, Wacey Nelson. Uh, so my point is, though, that in fact, um, yeah, yeah, this is this is a piece that we published on John Henry Clark. I have it for another project we're working on. When you said building, we're building for eternity. That's the motto of ASCAC. What you see by name there at the bottom, me and Dr. Beatty, Mario Beatty, the national president, Greg Kamathi Carr, editor in chief of the Compass. That's our journal in ASCAC. Um, that's another thing for 2022. You know, we, we got our journal. Paul Coates is our publisher. So, you know, all that we bring in to narrative. I can't even I can't even begin to express the excitement we have. But we have a journal, you know. So at any rate, um, we sit in this question of purpose. Nia, the fifth night purpose to make our collective vocation. In other words, all of our work together to make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to our traditional greatness. In other words, we're not building to build something that hasn't been seen before. Of course, this is gonna be something that hasn't been seen before given the context we're in, the social structure. But we're building to return to what we were doing in part before we were so rudely interrupted. This is very important. Last week we were talking about, was that last week or Monday night? We was talking about going down to the Smithsonian. It must've been Monday night. We'll have to talk about clock? that. Are you gonna talk about the clock? Oh, the clock, yeah, the clock metaphor. Oh, should we talk about that today? Mm, well, nah, to let them come back. Yeah, that's in the class. Only, only for people to. And, and again, this is not a push to do anything other than to say, um, "Can you hear me?" The the, build, the building requires all of us, and you know, everybody. Oh, your vision. All I've done is like connect dots, pull everything together, and then ask the question: Will people want this? If we have a place where people can come, commune, learn, grow together, yes. will they want it? So I just asked the question and you guys provided the answer. Because, mm. you know, as you said, I can move in many different ways and I'm good no matter what. You know, I'm that? good. I, I teach at a, you know, it's a Hunter College. I've been yes. there for 20 years. I'm, you know, it's, it's fine. I, I got the radio gig. I can do books at any point in time. Like there, there's, but this is like a, a mission because there's no place. And I think about the destruction of the, the libraries in the middle, quote unquote, Middle East and Africa with wars. And I even think about Egypt and us going there with it being mm -hmm. in the middle of this kind of like conflict. And I, and I asked you yesterday, I was like, where can we go to ancient Kemet, Nubia? Can we go to these places as, as they talk about the Greek excavation and the Roman, you know, the ruins and all of these places? Our stuff is so much older and more beautiful, but when you go to Ghana, it's the it's the castle, the doorway of no return, it's the trauma. Mm. And we're coming right back to that 1619 type mentality where you go there to feel the trauma and not to celebrate the the awesome community that was built. You know, I mean, how we even talk about mythologically Atlantis. Right. Why are we talking about Timbuktu and the Dahomey warriors? And all, like, why are we having those conversations? It's Greek and Roman. Nah, before that we were there and I'm I'm learning. I sit in class like everybody else and I'm like, okay, all right. So now he just went on 10 tangents. All that needs to be in there. So I'm just, so I'm collecting and organizing and making sure a hundred years from now, we won't be here. 
but this information must be here. That's right. So that's that's my job to make sure it's going to be here. Who's going to deliver it? How do we have it? And yes. it can only exist because people said they want it. So you only show us that you want it by being here, bringing more people here, bringing your brick. We don't need every people get mad when I say we don't need everybody. We need workers. What right. is it? You know, workers, right. workers are few. The Bible even talks about that. We need people who mm. get it and then are ready to put it in. Um, so I just wanted to just say that pop in and, and I'll say it's not it's not my vision. It's and then when you said that eternity thing, we're borrowing that too. We're oh, building yeah. it for eternity. We're That's for our eternity. model. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, no question. That's that. Look, we have to do this. In fact, there is a, uh, is the old, 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 old song. My mom and you sing Kane Avenue. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so one of the reasons that, and you're right, you will be fine. I'll be fine. You know, I, you know, until they figure out a way to get rid of me. Um, and I'm sure there are a couple of people trying to figure that out. Let's not even put that in the universe. No, it's, it's cool because, you know, no weapon formed. But uh, the point, <laughs> I mean, don't work so hard for your master, even when you think you're working for yourself. But the um, I still get my check every you know, couple of weeks uh, from the Negro College. And that's a beautiful thing. Why? Because it gives me access to think with young people and to think with my colleagues. And when I came to Howard University, so many of the people who I came to be with and part of a learn a community of teachers are now ancestors, James Donaldson and Ron Walters and Suleiman Young and Margie Anderson and so many, some of whom we lost this uh, year, lost to COVID, you know, um, think about those elders. And, and so the, but this is what Howard Thurman talks about in the mood of Christmas. We born to die. We here, we're going to be for our time. And so, my orientation is that it doesn't belong to me, just like as you said. We got to want it. We got to. We need it. We have to want it. And it doesn't belong to us. It passes through us. And so as it passes through us, we we are charged to think about Baba Ajay Okoto, who became an ancestor a couple of years ago. Baba Ajay with a Nation House here in D.C., one of the great African-centered institutions, which still continues, African-centered school. Baba Ajay used to always say, you know, if you don't do the work that you're supposed to do when you are here physically at this moment, it's okay because it'll pass to your children to do. The work will get done. So what you're doing is honoring your ancestors and honoring your time and space when you join. And so for me, it's always very important as someone who was, you know, led to and taught to by my elders, uh, Jamie Coleman Williams, who's still alive at 103 in Atlanta University, when my teachers at Tennessee State, she and her husband, McDonald Williams, who became an ancestor a couple of years ago now, they taught us, you know, it's your responsibility. If you are one of those who are charged with teaching, your job, while you sustain yourself in life, to know, in order to be able to do it, that's not the reason you're doing it. You sustain yourself so that you can share, so you can share what you think you understand and you can connect people. And that's why it's always been so very important for me, even in this, this process that we're in now, this institution that we're building, to have that dimension for those who, as Howard Thurman said, don't have to be able to connect. Because we are dropping, as you said at the very beginning, breadcrumbs. These are just points of entry. These are just beginning. And so it's very important to me while I sit with you know, Holly Grima as much as I can, because that is my elder. While I listen to and interact with and, and, and work with Jeremiah Wright. And so those elders, you know, who are here, still here physically, it's important for me to make sure that whatever part I can do to connect us to them and also to stay out of their way, because this is the other central thing. You need time. 
Because if it was just me, I probably wouldn't talk to anybody. I would just sit here and read. And listen, I would, anybody I went to, I would go, what you doing? What, no, I don't have a thought. I want to listen. Now, if you want to ask me what I think, I am compelled to share that with you at your direction. But my posture, my nature is I'm just going to listen. So when you say Timbuktu, I immediately think of the three or four books I got over here stacked up recent in the last two years on Timbuktu that I wouldn't be doing nothing but reading those and thinking through and thinking with them and thinking, now, when can I carve out at least four or five hours a week to really undertake this study of Arabic? Because we got to, I, I need to do some of these translations myself because my Baba, Jacob Carruthers said, you got to break the chain that links African ideas to European ideas and listen to your ancestors without interpreters. So mm -hmm. until I acquire those, those language skills, I don't trust nobody's translation. That's why I love my brother, Mario Beatty. He don't trust nobody's translation. Well, Egyptians, hold on. Do you have the original text? Yes. Then you don't need to say another word. What are you doing? I'm going to listen to my ancestors without interpreters. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so in narrative, if you 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 children in here, everybody, particularly you babies, and if you a baby in a family that don't have the money to pay the light, listen, understand this. You need to learn those Egyptian hieroglyphs. Those aren't just pretty designs or things you put tattoos on. And, and even if you have the the will, you I, I, I'm African. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna get a tattoo. Then you go in a tattoo par parlor. There are three dangerous words that African people who want to connect to their culture go into a tattoo parlor and ask that they should never ask when we are connected. And that is what? What that means. <laughs> Don't ask some cat with a pen in his or her hand who can write something on your skin permanently who doesn't translate a glyph what that means because they don't know. They're going to tell you what they were told. So, Professor, I don't want to get to again. We go off in this. Man. Since my first time at Kemet was 1996, many of the women and men of the association, they go three of them right there. All ancestors now, Conrad World, Jacob Carruthers, and and uh, Dr. Uh, Clark, uh, Association for Study Class of African Civilization. These are our people. When I first went, I had started taking Metanetra with Dr. Obinga, myself, Mario Beatty, Belithi Watkins, we were all his students and at Temple. And so I could begin to do translations. I had my grammar. I put my big Egyptian grammar in the in the bag. Put that over here somewhere. And I'm going, I'm over there with it now because I got to learn this stuff. Right? So every year in freedom schools, I would teach those young people some glyphs. And now, of course, they know those glyphs. And then they started showing that these are Philly kids. So you know what happened. These glyphs started showing up in the tattoos. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, you guys, are, they love the Sankofa glyph. They love the Jehudi glyph, the Ma'at glyph. I mean, they, in other words, but they knew what they, they didn't go in the tattoo parlor looking for designs. They went in saying, they done rolled out the glyph. Here, put this. What is it? Don't worry about what it is. Just I want the smile on my back or my calves or some other guy would say. But my point is, that, but what is it? What is it? You don't worry about what it is. You just do what I tell you to do. So this is the beautiful thing when you know. And so uh, the dedication. This is from March 2014. I'm just showing y'all this because we had to be here. We talk about building for eternity. Uh, we one of the first things we did is republished Dr. Clark, well, actually we published it for the first time, The World War Against African History Since 1968. This is by John Henry Clark. This is a speech he gave, the last speech he gave at ASCAC. Um, no, actually, it's not the last speech. It's uh, a speech from March 17th, 1995 in Detroit. I remember this speech because I was sitting right next to him. I, I was on the podium, myself, Dr. Carruthers, and, uh, and Dr. Clark spoke that morning. But this dedication gives you a clue as to how we should be thinking about our intellectual work.
here. It says, and, no, and the work is dedicated to the women and men of the Association for the Study of Classic African Civilizations, but this is a translation translated by Dr. Obinga himself. This is from a, a Sebaite or a teaching of Neb Ma Reiknacht Sesh Nesu, which means royal scribe or scribe of the king, uh, to the Sesh or to the teacher, uh, when uh, in the Imun, women in the Imun. This is from roughly speaking somewhere between 15, 1567 and 1085 BC, meaning what? Before Bethlehem at least a thousand years, maybe as much as 1500 years. They use it as a school text. This is what children were told to do. Cherish study, avoid the dance, so you'll become an excellent official. Do not yearn after outdoor pleasures, hunting and fishing, shun boomerang throwing and the chase, write diligently by day, recite at night. Let your friends be the papyrus roll and the scribal palette. Such work is sweeter than wine. Indeed, writing for one who knows it is far better than all other professions, pleasanter than bread and beer, more delightful than clothes and perfumed ointments, more precious than a legacy in Kemet than a tomb in the West. Now, that's a little harsh, <laughs> but that's why we put it there, because that ain't for everybody. That was for the children that were being trained to be the memory keepers. That don't mean you don't play outside. That don't mean, but it does mean that. If you're going to do all that, did you do your lesson? Did you get your lesson? Them same people that say Christmas gift, ask them children, did you get your lesson? And whether it be Ben Carson who went off the rails, however, his mom was like, did you get you and your brother get your lesson? You can't read it. I don't care if I can read it or not. I ain't asking what I ask you. <laughs> and so that's very deep in our thing. And that's what we're doing. So let me let me finish here. And then we'll, uh, Nia, we got purpose, right? The next night, and by the way, if y'all been keeping track, we go back and forth. Nia, you're going back to uh, the left. You're on the red candle. You keep going back and forth. Red, green, red, green, red, green, red, green. Now you're coming back to the green candle to the right. Kaumba. Kaumba is creativity. To do always, as much as we can, in the way that we can, in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than when we inherited it. That's critical. You come into a space, and some of y'all are like this. I got friends like this. They come into space, first thing they do is start organizing. Okay. Now with me, that's you can't do that. Because I got books and stuff. So you start saying, okay, let me move these books. Oh, wait a minute, hold on, because I know where everything is. <laughs> so first of all, that don't happen a whole lot to me now. I mean, obviously, COVID. But you you want to move stuff around, you better ask me, because you move some papers, I won't be able to find them. That's what happened with Schomburg. This story, talk about the Schomburg Center. It's another thing we can talk about another day. Dr. Clark first told me that story, and then I heard it many other places. They hired a professional librarian who came in, uh, June Blackwell Houston. Uh, Ms. Houston was trained librarian. She comes in, Schomburg. Schomburg can't find nothing. Why? She didn't organize the books according to Dewey Decimal. He had them organized by color and height. <laughs> but they're his books. You know, so I bought one of these books in here. So I know where it is. So, but creativity means whenever you come in a space, you're going to make it better. It's hip hop. Y'all done taken out all the music programs in the school. So we're going to figure out a way to make music anyway. Biz say, make the music with your mouth, Biz. You know, let's do what you got to do. I'm going to leave this place better than when I inherited it. Now, I'm going to use my memory to do that. Meaning what? I'm not just creating something new. I'm creating something on a very old foundation. As Edward Kennedy Ellington said, Duke Ellington, 
He said, what is jazz? Ah, it's music. What, what do you, what do you, how would you define it? He said, well, I really don't have a definition, but if I had to come up with one, it would be music coming out of an African foundation interpreting an American experience. Now, what you going to do with that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's why one of the biographies of Duke is beyond category. He's beyond category. So anyway, we'll finish up. The last one, of course, is where you often have a feast, a community feast. It's called Imani. How many Imanis do we know? My friend Imani Perry at, at Princeton being the one that comes most immediately to mind. By the way, that brother in uh, New Orleans, who I couldn't think of at the moment, but he just came in my head now. You asked about Kwanzaa. Go ask Baba uh, Kalamu. Baba Kalamu Yasalam. Very important figure. Um, and anyway, Imani means faith. That's the seventh day of Kwanzaa. Faith. To believe with all our hearts in our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, in the righteousness and victory of our struggle. Imani. And so those are the seven principles of Kwanzaa. And those principles, again, speak into not just rituals, rituals of remembering and institution building and intellectual warfare, action-oriented rituals that are intimate, beginning with family, continuing with community, in conversation. We are African people. We are African people. And, and so it, it helps us do, do that work. It helps us do that work. And, and so, by the way, yeah, I'll mention the clock because I did mention it was in office hours. And we talk about that. Y'all come in office hours. We There's a whole lot more we could talk about today, but we, we won't. The um that that's a metaphor for my class. And actually, somebody came in, one of former students, who's asking about that, said he had a great impact on him. And you'll often hear people say teachers teach to the future, the you know, to a future they won't see. And that's true. We all, all of our teachers, imagine if we could go back and literally thank all the people in our lives who went in pouring into us. We'd spend the rest of our lives in great gratitude thanking them. And a lot of them would be the first time they heard it because they just, you know, that's not how the process works. And that's, we know that going in. But but he said, you know, that clock metaphor you used in your introduction to African States class, and he came in the early 2000s. So he graduated 2007. And I've been there by then about six, seven years, about seven years. And so it just made me smile because that is one of the things students often remember. And it's one of the things we'll talk about in the Afro class, in the Africanist class, the Africana class we have in narrative. We're loading into narrative. The metaphor is very simple. I won't go over all the backstories this morning. I'll just mention it. If you take a clock, regular clock face, and let me see if I got a clock here. Clock, but I got a, you know, I tend not to have these kind of clocks around um let me check a clock face a watch face there clock face and of course got you know the 12 is up here the six is down here and then you go around counter nature wise <laughs> but the other way would be counterclockwise we talk about that the cosmogram right but if you go down three six nine twelve let's say you go around twice go around twice that's 24 hours once 12 twice 24 equal one day more or less 24 hours if you take a 24-hour clock as a metaphor for time and you say every hour on this clock we will assign a value of 500 500 500 years we're going to use it as a metaphor for human experiences so every hour on that clock is 500 years. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. Boom. One time around is 6,000 years, right? 
Is that right? Mm -hmm. So two times around, 12,000 years. Each hour is 500 years. So if we start today, 2021, we're going to round it back to 2000 to keep it even. 2000. We go back 5, 10, 15, 20. Stop. That's 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. 500, you know, four hours on that clock today would take us back to the birth of Christ. And that would still leave us 10,000 more years worth on the metaphor on the other side. So 12,000, 2021 on this side, another 10,000, roughly speaking, on the other side. So if we say that humanity woke up this morning at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we are now, where I'm sitting here right now, where we are on the East Coast of the United States, then we would say midnight tonight would be 2021 or 2000, where you know where we are then. If we back map on that clock, 500 years going back from midnight tonight, 11:59. If midnight tonight is 2021, or let's say 2000, year 2000, just to round it down, 2000. That means that 11 p.m. would be 1500. That means that 10 p.m. would be 1000. That means that 9 p.m. would be 500. That means that 8 p.m. would be the birth of Christ. You know when enslavement occurs on a, on a clock like that? Around 11 to midnight, really 1130. It'd be 250 years or so for most of us who have this conversation. That's 1130 to midnight. The birth of Christ was at 8 p.m. That means Rome. Go back another, go to 7 p.m. That's about 500 B.C. Now you're talking about Greece. Where are the Africans? Oh, wait. It, 6 p.m. would be 1,000 B.C. Ain't no Greeks. Now it's everybody else in the world, including the Egyptians. Oh, okay. 5 p.m. is 1,500 B.C. Now you're talking about Hatshepsut. Now you're talking about Jehudi Mosinel. Now you're talking about New Kingdom, Egypt, Tutankhamun, somewhere between, you know, 5 and 6 p.m. Now 4 p.m. is going to be 2,000 B.C. Now, 3 p.m. is going to be 2,500, and 2 p.m. is going to be 3,000. Between 2 and 3 o'clock, that's when they built the pyramids. That's when they built it. Now, Jesus not come to 8 p.m. Ain't no Greeks and stuff till about 7, 6, 30, 7 o'clock, and ain't no boat showed up for you till 11, 30, midnight. And you've been up. Here's the mind blower. You've been up since way before midnight earlier. You can go back months and years of being up. So why would we fit our entire notion? We were not born on the water, sis. Nicole, I'm sorry, sis. You're trying to jam our whole history in 11.30 p.m. on that clock? 1619 Project. Okay, 1619. That would be what, about 10 minutes after 11? Are you serious? Oh, you can take that six, You can take that 11.10 Project. I'm going to start with the project that had us born about six months ago. And if you want to lose your whole mind being a figment of the white imagination around 11 p.m. on that metaphor, no problem. But we're not going to settle for that. And guess what? You don't want to settle for it either. You don't want to settle for it either. But in your mind somewhere, they taught you as a child, you can't win. You can't break even. And you can't get out of the game. Except you can. It's very easy. Take a step back. Start with Kwanzaa, get you some principles in your life. And so I want to uh, 
mention this brother on Christmas morning because we've been here together and folk got to eat and folks going. And the thing I love about this is the Nubia family joins us this morning. There'll be so many others who flowed in who are now, you know, we want y'all to come on over if you feel led to and you joining us during your break. They'll be watching this afternoon. And then over the week, course of the week, more and more people watch. So you have time. But during Kwanzaa now, you can refer to this. You can go back and, and lead your family through. And in fact, I should just take maybe two minutes and go back through it. So again, you get your black candle. I was going to get Keith May's book, but I think I will use I will use the Kwanzaa calendar. Get your black candle. Get your Umoja. I'm just going to show you all. That represent Umoja. I'm going to go here to the to the calendar. Uh, what to do. That's what I do. They, they make it real easy for us. See? What to do and when to do it. Y'all could take a screenshot of that. So arrange and the symbols on a low table as follows. You got it here. Spread the makeka, the mat, place the canar, the candle holder in the center of the makeka, the mat, place the hindi on either side of the canar, one ear of corn for each child, one or as a symbol of prosperity. Creatively place the zawadi, kikombe, and basket of mazao on the makeka, fruits and stuff. Place one black mushuma in the center of the canar, that's the candle. Mushuma, candle in Kiswahili, with three green on the right, three red on the left. December 26th through January 1st, greeting. Greet each other in Kiswahili, asking Habarigani, what's the news or what's happening? Answer with the principal for that day. For example, on December 26th, respond with Umoja. Now, you could do economic empowerment. You could fast even, libation, which we will maybe we'll do libation this morning. As you say, Professor, we'll do a little bit. Ancestral communion, candlelighting ceremony, the karamu or the feast usually held on the 31st, the zawadi. If you got young people, get them a book. You could do one gift each day, reinforcing the principle of that day, or one or more gifts on January 1st, the last day of Kwanzaa. Personally made gifts are strongly encouraged over commercial purposes. But if you got to buy something, go find the black people. So many black women and men with those Kwanzaa people. Where did you get that girl? Oh, I got that at a Kwanzaa a couple of years ago. Oh, I love that. Is it oh, you? Where can I get? Oh, yeah, let me get let me let me hook you up with the name of the sister who makes these. I mean, I've seen it a million times. And uh, mm, let me not let me go. So that's Kwanzaa in a nutshell. But y'all could look at this any day of the week. You can keep coming back to it. I want to end with just a, a raise up a name of a brother who I was asking you about. Um, who I didn't know a whole lot about, Franklin Augustine Thomas. And I won't say much more about him. He became an ancestor a couple of days ago. If we know the name Vernon Jordan, this is the name of a brother, Franklin Thomas, Frank Thomas, who we don't hear a lot about. He was the first black president of the Ford Foundation. And you know what? I'm going to pause with that because if you're watching this and not in narrative Anubia, this is one of the many things. And there's so many, 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 many more things that are valuable. But I think I'm going to pause there because and pick this up Monday night. Yeah, I'm going to pick this, this up. This also feels like a you should know. The way you did Howard Thurman, the way you told us. Yeah. You you think you know Martin Luther King, but who you really know is Howard Thurman. Oh. This is like, you think you know Vernon Jordan. We know. Why do we know Vernon? So, well, he was curated. Yes. But I had to go look for Frank Thomas. You I have to look for him. Yes. Yes. And you're right. You're absolutely right. Maybe. Yeah, because tomorrow night is Moja. And then Kuji Chagalias. Ooh, self-determination. There's a lesson. there. It is a you should know. Yeah, it is a you should know. And shout out to the the history makers again, my people, Larry Crow and them, but the sister whose idea, whose vision it was, who's the or the force, the leader of the history makers, Julianne Richardson, interviewed Frank Thomas in 2017 for History Makers. And 
you know, he peeks through the edge. I don't know that you saw. I didn't see it. Did you see this? I don't know if it was Netflix or Hulu or FX. It was called uh, Ms. America. It was on how they tried to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. I, I started watching and couldn't finish it. So, okay. So that, that tells me all I need to know. Gloria Steinem, mm -hmm. her black boyfriend in there, Jay Ellis from uh, Insecure plays the black boyfriend who she called the love of her life. Franklin A. Thomas. Anyway, <laughs> it's crazy how this dude <laughs> is sitting at the center of all this stuff that goes down. Bobby Kennedy, Bedford Stuyvesant. He's from Bedford Stuyvesant. People from Barbados. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to say less about him. I just want to, I'll mention him now to raise his name because he is in many ways a metaphor for what happens, how far you can go and can't go in a social structure when self-determination is your goal and not just for yourself, but for your people. It's a fascinating story and in many ways, I think, and I don't want to make the comparison, but I will make the comparison. I do want to make the comparison, but very, very carefully. I think in some ways, Franklin Thomas is who I think perhaps some people think Vernon Jordan was. And that's not to say that either of them could have done any more than they did. But Franklin Thomas operated, they knew each other well. In fact, they were introduced, they went to South Africa together. There's a whole story behind that, which is off the chain. It's pre-apartheid over being over. Um, but at any rate, yeah, uh, we'll we, 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 we talk more about that. But um, on this Christmas morning, Christmas afternoon, in a holiday ritual that has become increasingly shaped to the circumstances we find ourselves in. That is, as, as Howard Thurman talks about in the mood of Christmas, really as much about family and community as it is about anything else. And on Kwanzaa Eve, as we begin to think about this ritual of preservation for us, by us, and the thinkers that created it, I mean, the, the community they brought together, the connections to Africa and Africana that it folds in and the creative ways we do it. We can we can we can close with a libation. Uh, I can do a real short one. That's this is kind of interesting. I need to probably put some elements together. If you give me a second, Professor Hunter, you might need to come on and and diminish me. Let me go over here in this corner and get a plant. I'm going to go get it while you. Oh, let me go here and get this. Uh, I got a plant over here. And I want to see. Uh oh, see, this is what happens because I got to move my books. So I start moving stuff. shelf and uh oh i'm talking i'm talking and we're not even on okay i muted myself all right dr carr is going to get his um libation cup and and everything and while he's doing that i just want to take time to say thank you uh on a saturday morning i made a freudian slip but it was muted and i said there are nearly four hundred fifty thousand people in nubia right now ah. i was wait is that Freudian? Hopefully, but no. there are really 450 Nubians that got up on a Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. to convene, to be part of this merry community, uh, to have this conversation 
to get this lesson, to bring their brick. And uh, it is the, the absolute uh, most important manifestation of everything that I think we were put here to do, which is to leave a legacy. Some of us are doing it through our children. Some of, it, some of us are doing it through our work. Uh, but this, is, this is a life to be lived, to be shared, to, to grow, to be the best, and then to leave behind more than what you came in with. And I think that that's you know, the challenge for all of us as Dr. Carr goes to get his libation cup and uh, comes back with the process. I just wanted to take time to say thank you, uh, all of the Nubians and all of the folk that are join us on Saturday passively in, in YouTube. Um, and let me bring him back in because I'm stalling. Uh, no, no, no. I had to go get it out of the corner because I normally, this is the, uh, thank you, Professor Hunter. You're right. Thanks to everyone. This is the, uh, the cup that Brother Cleckley and the crew at the New York African Burial Ground gave me. They got a they got a more elaborate one they keep there. But as you all might guess, I like to keep it simple. <laughs> so they gave me the simple joint. <laughs> I'm custodian. <laughs> so and I just got a plant here. And, and why, why the plant? Why do you have the plant? Oh well, oh yes. The um and it's interesting. I was in uh Blue Nile. Uh, we shall know if y'all from DC, the herb store, the natural store. And I hadn't seen this book. It's called Roots Run Deep, Africa to the Americas. Willard Taylor, photographer, DC legend, Albert Mosley, the philosopher, gives the aphorisms, the sayings in here. And what he talks about is, this is a sister. Oh, man, there are so many. This book is incredible. Roots Run Deep, Africa to the Americas. It talk about the cultural survivals everywhere through the U.S., Caribbean, Latin America, you see regular black folk who have never stopped being African. Again, Ron Walters asking that never been African. One of the things that they have in there is a bit of a glossary. And in fact, I was just looking at another glossary, looking at my Yoruba dictionary. One of the words that we see often is ashe. You often say when you pour libation, you pour, you say ashe. The ashe in Yoruba language really doesn't translate into one thing. People can, it can be translated as life force, as essence, the thing that animates us. But the ashe is, as Robert Ferris Thompson, who recent ancestor, would say, the power to make things happen. The It is the thing that animates us. So we know that our bodies are primarily water. And of course, the Egyptians would say that it is out of the water, out of the essence, the noon, and you end. Three wavy lines in the glyphs symbolize the noon. You see those glyphs together like a Wavy line, wavy line, wavy line, noon. That's, that translates as noon. And of course, we see the Christians borrow that as an export, you know, the movement on the face of the deep, the water. It's at the beginning, so-called Genesis, um, which comes from the Jews, actually, which comes from the Egyptians. Even the damn book show you that. Not the damn book, the book, metaphor, right? Moses, Mesu, Messi, meaning literally to be born. Three fox skins tied together, the word Messi. The name Moses itself is Egyptian. But, of course, Moses was Egyptian, right? He was raised in the house. And then, of course, he has a second order break with Christianity, uh, with Judaism, and then absorbs it all into the first five books, those Ten Commandments. All that stuff comes out of Egypt. But tied together by the New Testament with the genealogies. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Genealogy? Yeah, going all the way back to the Hebrews. And then they break with the Jews. Hence, a New Testament. Another story. But. It all speaks to genealogy. And so the ashe, the power that makes things happen, exists. It predates humanity. It will be here after humanity is moved through its entrance and exit. Um, it's coming and going. But it is the essence that comes at what Howard Thurman might call the luminous darkness. 
in a book that he wrote based on this concept, luminous darkness. It is the thing beyond the thing we can see, but it animates us all. And so in our bodies are primarily water. The plant represents everything else. We share with this plant life. We share with the worms in this dirt life. Recombining the water to the other elements, including water here, reminds us that this cycle completes. And so that clear glass of water we're pouring is life-giving. It sustains us. And so the ritual of libation, of pouring out that liquid, of pouring out the water, the palm wine, uh, the cats on the corner, a little bit of liquor, pointing is recombining the elements, recognizing that we are reminding ourselves that we are part of a cycle, even whether we, whether we acknowledge it or not. But we acknowledge it at this moment, which allows us to remember those who came before us, to remember that we are them. They came before us and we are them. We are our ancestors. So that's why we use a plant. And so the first one we pour, and I'll do a, a abbreviated one this morning because they can get long. You, you go to Ghana or Nigeria, you go to a ritual, you can go like, cause see libation, you call everybody. They will start doing and they start calling the beginning. So what we'll do is just do a symbolic one this morning. We'll pour the first one in recognition of that which created us. That which we emerge from the unmoved mover, as the Egyptians would say, or Amun, is where we get the word Amen. For the Muslims, Amin. It is Amun, as the Egyptians would say, who, although hidden, is the source of all Ankh, life, of all Was, power, of all Seneb, health. Is the source of all life, power, and health. We pour to the names by which that creative force has been known throughout time by humanity attempting to create that handle, the first humans being Africans and then our children who have populated the earth. We pour by the many names by which that spirit is known in science, by which that spirit is known in the sacred tradition, the ways of knowing, whether it be Oludumare, Ashe, whether it be uh, Yama Ashe, Yame Ashe, whether it be Oshun, Ogun Ashe, whether it be um, the various traditions of Central Africa, whether it be the various traditions of Southern Africa, whether it be Maulisa Ashe, whether it be the traditions who would say uh, in the words and the spirit of our brother Magudimo Somme, who has made just made transition, the spirit of the great creative force Ashe, we pour to those human beings coming to his distance in the great rift valley of africa who walked out to populate the entire globe we pour to the ancestors of all human beings who will ever walk this earth the first human beings who were african ashe we pour then to their children our ancestors who stayed in africa who settled by the great rivers by the limpopo and the zambezi by the niger by the nile by the congo we pour to those who inhabited the savannas, the Sahel. We pour to those who live in the deserts, Kalahari, the Sahara. We pour to those who live in the small highlands, the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. We pour those who live in the Niger floodplain. We pour to those who having settled and migrated and settled and migrated and settled and migrated, the Iburi people, the Twa people, the forests, those who settled, who created the families and communities, who built their dwellings, 
who passed on the knowledge of how to stay alive, how to cook, how to hunt, how to harvest, how to work, how to build family and community. And then having fed themselves and rested and worked and labored in those moments, looked at the stars and asked, who am I? Am I really who I am? Am I all I ought to be? And then created astronomy and then created mathematics and then created language and literature who created all of the ways of knowing that humanity have used as the foundation to create other ways of knowing who built the great societies of Kemet and Kush and Monomotapa of Aksum and Meroe, Ethiopia, who created the great cultures of Southern Africa, the Nguni language speakers, the Zulu and the Swana and the Sotho and so many others, the Kosas, those in West Africa, the Ashanti, the Fanti, the Ga, those in the bends of the river Niger, all the way to the ocean, the Abibio and the Ibo and the Yoruba, the Efik, the Congo and Central Africa, the Fula people, like our brother and ancestor Amadou Hampate Ba, those by the Senegambia, in the Senegambia region, by the Senegal region, the, the Wolof people, the people of Sheikh Antijope and Phyllis Wheatley, the Africans who lined the Mediterranean, the Nawa people, the Nubians all up and down the Nile Valley, and thousands and thousands and thousands of more, known by their languages, but bound together by what Sheikh Antijope would call the cultural unity of Africa, Ashe. We pour to their children, our ancestors, who were set upon by their children's children's children who no longer recognized them, who had migrated north and turned and been trapped by the ice and survived and built their own cultures, but then got in ships, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Dutch, French, the English, who came and set upon their parents who they no longer recognized and cast them adrift into the Western Hemisphere. We pour to those ancestors who haven't been set upon by their children who no longer recognize them, preserved and affirmed their ways of life, who had stuffed into their mouths the languages of these assaulters, who were assaulted themselves by their kin, who forced with a choice of descending upon them or being taken themselves, turned on each other. And we were stuffed onto boats and forced to learn that Spanish and Dutch and French and Portuguese and English, but those first words to come out of our mouths were not master, but Madre de Dios, Maudie, oh my God, who prayed to the collective spirit to survive, who created Vaudon, Santeria, Macumba, Caromble, who created the black church who said, you may give us your white Jesus, but we will turn him into the God of Africa. The God of Africa. And we will avenge those who came before us. We put those children out of whom welled Henri Christophe, Georges-Jacques Desalines, Cécile Fatemont, Toussaint Louverture, out of whom well Boukman, Dutty, who was Cécile Fatemont, called the boy came on ritual and said, cast down the image of the white man's God who has brought down your tears for so long and listen to liberty that lives in all our hearts who brought us Ganga Zumba and Zumbia Palmares in Brazil who brought us Araminta. We've been taught her European name, Harriet Ross Tubman, who is who brought us Nat Turner and Denmark Vesey and Gabriel Prosser, who brought us the resistors at Stono, the resistance, the resistors who resisted in Louisiana and the swamps of Louisiana, who resisted, who built Africa town 
in Mobile, Alabama, those who resisted in the Great Basin of Virginia. We poured those Africans who fought for their independence in the ungovernable Caribbean, to quote another of our recent ancestors, Julius Scott, who heard and breathed the common wind, who spread that revolution throughout the hemisphere, those who spread the revolution with the indigenous folk in, in Latin America and Central America, those who continued that resistance even after they fought their way out of independence in the great civil war in the United States the U.S. colored troops, the women and men who fought themselves out of that oppression, Martin Delaney and, and, and Sojourner Truth and Frederick Douglass and so many others, Ashe. We ported their children, our ancestors who having fought their way out of that common oppression migrated because the central theme in human history is migration, who left the Caribbean and came to the United States, who left Central America and came to the Caribbean, who left Latin America and came to the Caribbean and Central America, who left all those places and came to the United States, those who came to the United States and drove the cars and gardened in the yards, who washed the clothes, other people fed other people's children before they could feed their own. Those are the direct ancestors of those of us gathered here today in Nubian narrative and in the African world generally. And we ask now as we pour this libation for all of those who sacrifice for us. You say where from wherever you are or you keep in your heart the name of those bloodline ancestors who sacrificed so that you could be here to participate in this libation. We pour to those who are gathered here today and everyone who is not able to gather because we are your representatives in this moment. We are you, ancestors, and we are each other, Ashe. And finally, we pour to the beautiful ones, as our brother and elder Aikwe Arma would say, the beautiful ones who are not yet born. The children of the children of the children of the youngest who are in this ritual of libation today, we pour in the spirit of Umoja. Unity. We pour in the spirit of Kujichagalia, self-determination. We pour in the spirit of Ujima. We pour in the spirit of Ujamaa. We pour in the spirit of Kuumba. We pour in the spirit of Nia. And we pour in the spirit of Imani. We pour in the spirit of our collective power. Because we know that one day when we are all ancestors and return to this earth that you will be the ones who pour libation and call our names because if we do what we're supposed to do, we will be a link in that unbroken chain and you will lift our names as we lifted our ancestors before us because we know that through that connection, we will always understand that it is up to us. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Oh, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mercury. <laughs> Mercury.